0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapira, and with me... Hello, I'm Sean Edry, and I did it 35 minutes ago. That you did. This is a comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Sequart, the best online and unusual source for everything comic book and pop culture. Buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. And remember, Sequart is on
1: Patreon, support smart criticism in comics. Shall we go on to the news? Before we go on to the news, we yes. have a bit of administrative announcements. Oh, right, right. Through. Tom is going on a vision quest to discover the lost marbles of Alishkot, so we will be back November 19. Mean.
0: You're mean. Oh, we'll get to You're a meany, mean, mean. We'll get to that soon enough. No, because I hope he's not listening because I'm going to uh, to ask for his <laughs> signature. I'm going to
1: English. Hey, signature. I said it, not you. Okay. Anyway, so you know how some people like to start their day with a cup of coffee? Yes. I like to start it with a little bit of schadenfreude. Go right ahead. The live-action gem movie has apparently had the worst opening weekend in the history of American cinema. For wide releases. Yes. They're saying that it made a grand total of $34,000 on its first day. Who would have guessed that an adaptation of Gem and the Holograms with no synergy, no misfits, no fashion, and obnoxious social media references could fail? I am shocked.
0: Well, to be fair, this is not technically comic book news because it's based on a cartoon. But since we were fans of the current comic book and reviewed it rather recently, we thought it was worth mentioning. The reason that it's comic relevant, in my
1: opinion, is just because when you look at the Thompson-Campbell comic book and consider that the movie is coming out at the same time and you compare the two, I mean, apples
0: and oranges. Now, to be fair, the director of the film, whose name I do not recall, but John res- Chu. who's responsible for such cinematic masterpieces as G.I. Joe 2 and Step Up 2, The Streets. So you're saying the warnings were there? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, G.I. Joe 2 is better than G.I. Joe 1. That's not saying much. It's saying something. He said that he originally wanted it to be a big, exciting, huge movie, but the studios basically cut him down. The movie only cost $5 million, which in Hollywood terms is nothing. You can't do a big, you know, explosive 80s mega movie with $5 million. So I don't think the movie, as he imagined it originally, would have been good it would have been better because with $5 million, were basically limited to doing a regular teenage indie music drama, which is what this movie apparently is, only not very well.
1: I don't see how the budget limitation affects the premise and the plot, though, because that's where a lot of people had the problem. It's not just that there weren't any special effects or that they didn't have the ability to shoot in all of these different locations or whatever. That I could understand, but just the whole concept... It had, first of all, it had nothing to do with Gem. There's no concept here of performing because you're doing it for a higher cause. Like with Jem, it's to save her mother's orphanage or whatever. We have to save
0: the orphanage. Something yeah, like that, yeah. right?
1: This whole thing was just like she's discovered on YouTube and then she goes on YouTube and she's taking selfies and she's doing it. No. It was very, it reads very much like one of those scenarios where Someone who predates the social media era is trying to write about social media mm-hmm. in the way that he thinks people do. These and young wrong. kids with Those their... young you- kids with their gadgets. With
0: their YouTubes and yeah. Facebooks and MySpaces.
1: No, usually they get it mixed up. It's like, it's Facebook and MyBook.
0: Now, th- the negative side of this failure is that, as I think Heidi from the Beat said... It's another one of these signs that movie studios will read as, oh, girl movies fail, we shouldn't give more money to girl movies, mm-hmm. even though, you know, boy movies f- fail all the time, and n- you never get this response. You know, nobody ever watched the crashing and burning known as Green Lantern, the movie, and said, well, comic book movies are dead. But whenever a female-led, female-starring, female-aimed-at-audience movie fails, you'll have people in the studios and in the entertainment industry will jump and say, well... We've told you you shouldn't make movies for girls. See the problem? You know whatever, someone
1: will say that. I know someone will say that. I don't agree with her on this particular point because first of all The Hunger Games is a thing, right? And Divergent is a thing. And you have all of these female-led young adult what, projects. What's,
0: what's the name of this movie series about a cappella singers? Pitch perfect. Made more than Mad (laughs) Max. Exactly. So
1: so I understand the fear that Hollywood executives will look at this and be like, oh, no, no, no. But there are enough counterexamples of female-led projects that do succeed now that I think that old fear of, oh, we're just not going to do it anymore, is a little passe. This movie failed because it had nothing to appeal to... The people who are reading the Thompson Campbell comic and saying, okay, we see what you're doing there, right? There's no connection to the, to the series in as much as anyone's looking for nostalgia for Jem from the 1980s, for God's sake. But on the other hand, like even on its own terms, all this social media nonsense and the most tripe cliche, you know, road trip with your sisters to whatever it's, boring even for people who don't know what gem is like if you went into this movie blind and you had no idea what it was you'd still think it was a crappy movie the misfits don't even exist in this movie they don't turn up until like the credits well in nowadays it,
0: well in nowadays realm of you know everything has to be a trilogy right you assume that they plan it to be uh gem one rise of gem gem two the misfits revenge meanwhile gem where, where is our
1: scott pilgrim trilogy is what i want to know it's movie. never see this is the, it's never the good movies that become I a trilogy. Don't it's always a Skull, the crap I don't one. want a
0: sculpt. Why not? I'm happy enough with what we've got. It was one good movie. It could have now, been three good movies. If if you would have said a Dino Riders trilogy, well, I would be <laughs> there. I would be there for you, my friend. What I hope
1: happens instead of executives looking at this and being you know oh female led just maybe look at it and say mm, mindless reboots and remakes of existing properties. Maybe we should lay off on that for a while. John
0: Chu. Not the best. Not the best. Not the best. Okay, the next bit of news is going to cause a bit of shouting match, I assume, in this room. Speaking of taking pleasure in the downfall of others. Okay. Material, the series by Al Scott and Tom Mueller, mm-hmm. has been cancelled after only four issues and the one TPB that came out less than a month ago. Was this cancelled or did Code pull the plug? Because
1: it's not well, entirely clear. a
0: bit of both. Okay. None of the above. Uh, following the cancellation, Cod had published a long and very rambling announcement, <laughs> the nicest way of saying it, which I would like to quote, in his newsletter. And uh, the gist of it is that the market as it is, is not fit for supporting his type of efforts, and that he hopes to continue the series in a form of maybe graphic novels coming out once a year. Okay, Sean, you may open, quote...
1: Open quotation marks. In the months following the now-famous and infamous interview I gave Abraham Reisman at the Vulture, I sensed a final rising of a long, gestating tidal wave. I don't have a good explanation of what the wave is. I merely know it exists. I know I am moving into a new way of being. And some days, I can see the other shore. Okay. Okay. This is why your books don't sell, Mr. Coates. No, because. Ain't he... nobody got time for Charlie Kaufman by way of Dada. Stop it. You are not Joseph Fink and this is not Nightwish. Well, I, Shut I, the dis- hell up.
0: I, no, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I disagree. Okay. One, some artists do manage to sell with this type of. Cosmic magic esque attitude to writing. Grant I know Morrison. The name that's coming. I yeah, Grant Morrison, Alan gonna... Moore, even Neil Gaiman have been doing it for years and successfully with critical appreciation and sales by the truckload. Mm-hmm. The problem, I think, that something like Material had, and I'm both sad and unsurprised by the cancellation because I liked Material, is that. It's obviously not something that can sell. By issue 3 and 4, material was going below the top 300 selling comics, which means it's not even listed on something like ICV-2. Okay, why do you think that is, though? Because it's permanently uncommercial. It's a series of talking head about politics and, and uh, logic problems and philosophy. Okay. It's a Fantographic comic or drawn quarterly comic. Published via Image, and but you have just listed a number of creators who, when they take that exact same tack,
1: manage to sell.
0: Well, some of them manage to some, sell. Well,
1: I mean the the ones that you named specifically, yes. right? We're talking about Neil Gaiman, we're talking about Alan Moore, we're talking about Grant Morrison, and, even, and Warren Ellis. To some extent, has that. Yeah, but even to, Grant Morrison has some of his lower-selling stuff. You know? Not like this, though. I Grant think. Morrison has never had a book fail out of the
0: top three hundred, as thing, far as I remember. Now, the thing about Alice Scott. I like his writing to a point. We had a lot of disagreement about how Zero ended. I think it was brilliant, and I think his Secret Adventures ended beautifully. For me, it was one of the best ongoing superhero books of the last five years or so. Completely disagree, but okay. Yes, yes. okay, (laughs) Okay, fine. I think the problem with Kot, and I've said it many times, not in this podcast, is that he's like Grant Morrison, but he shortened everything. Zero, for example. Mm. could be uh, comparable to the Invisibles. But the Invisibles had a very long arc of changing from starting... You know, it's an action series about cool rebels shooting up bad, evil soldiers. Mm. And slowly, slowly changing in a more philosophical... We're all in this together, you know, space-time. Right. And Zero was the same way. Yeah, and Zero was basically... That only condensed into only 18 issues. So when the change came... It was a huge break. And understandably, a lot of people were very, very annoyed by the last four issues of Zero, which were taking the last 20 issues of the Invisibles and condensing them into four damn issues. That's a situation that's unique
1: to Zero, because with material... No, because the the last five issues of Secret Avengers were exactly the same thing. But but when you look at the series that... Failed for lack of sales, which is material. I think the surface was the same way.
0: Well, the surface it started as an ongoing, but then by the time the first, by the time the first issue came out and I look at the solicits, it was one of four. Right. So maybe he changed it and he said, maybe well, he changed
1: it or maybe the pre orders weren't so great. Yeah. It does seem that. That logic holds in terms of when it's an ongoing series and he starts out from one place and then he ends up somewhere else, there's not enough room. That I understand. But all of this talk about material, I think that his problem is that he comes off as incredibly pretentious. Not least because... Like you said, we have already seen creators do stuff like this before, but the difference is, you know, Grant Morrison can be a little bit obscure, shall we say. He can be a little incoherent, he can be very incoherent, and it can be an unpleasant reading experience. Absolutely true. But Morrison didn't start there. Morrison has enough of a cache of fantastic stories that don't go off into the ether to explore his own nether regions... Where, okay, so if he wants to be weird and write The Filth, which you might know something about, Tom, because so how you have a book about it.
0: I literally wrote the book you on it. You wrote
1: the book on The Filth. So if he wants to do The Filth, it's not like he didn't do Zenith and he didn't do... Um, New X-Men. New X-Men. And he didn't Justice do Wii League. 3. And he didn't do all of these amazing stories, right? So he's but, allowed but his... Morrison,
0: idol- can- Morrison and Gaiman and more at the time... Could balance commercialism sure. with creativity. And look at Peter Milligan, for example. Oh.
1: Milligan can be really, really weird and very alienating for his readers. But there's never the sense there that he thinks he's smarter than you. And, and-, and like Coates' newsletter was the most self-indulgent head so far up your own butt. You look like a rolled up ball of socks. That's what it feels no, like, I, and it's like, and then you
0: complain that your books don't sell. No, what I, possible? I, I don't have problem with pretentiousness in my creators. I'm <laughs> a, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> why not? I'm an I'm an Ellen Moore fan. It comes with the territory. No, Alan Ellen Moore was Ellen Moore definitely like that. thinks that he's smarter than you, and he's right most of the time. And I don't have any problem with a writer being smarter than me. I prefer it to be, but the problem with something like material is that it's obviously uncommercial. And because of the image publishing model, as far as I understand it, is you have to sell above a certain number of issues per month or you start losing money, the money out of your pocket. By the time issue three came out, Cotton Mueller were bleeding money. And it sort of leads us to a wider point of what the hell happens when in an image title when it's canceled. Because yes. we had Pisces. We reviewed issue one of Pisces half a year ago. Mm-hmm. And then it, issue three came out, and it was gone. I haven't read it, so I don't know if there was an end point, but there was Then he trade no. paperback. So I assume it was just, it disappeared. Uh red one had two issues published, and then they said, well, we'll bound those two issues, which were like 60, 70 pages, mm-hmm. into an album type. European hardcover which nobody asked for and maybe we'll publish something else in the future that's what we'll do
1: which umbral got its cancellation announcement through anthony johnson's personal blog nick spencer's bedlam is a wall nobody knows yeah. anything about that peter panzerfoss disappeared with two issues left, left of the storyline which
0: you understand from the point of view of the creator because at a certain point they're losing money mm-hmm. and you can say well For my enjoyment and benefit, you have to continue bleed, I don't know, thousands of dollars each month.
1: Actually, I can. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Even taking into account... This is sort of like the overall feeling that I have with cancellations in general. Okay. Even if you are at the point where you are actively losing sales by publishing, especially if it's only two issues or three issues left, right? You're losing money. Okay. You as a creator still have some kind of obligation to the people who've been buying your books and who've been reading your issues and who follow you based on reputation from project to project because they like what you do. And you leave them hanging and you don't complete the story. And then you ask them to take on faith your next project. Weeb has really had some bad luck here because he went from Peter Panzerfaust to Rat Queens being a huge success to Pisces being cancelled in the middle of the first arc. So I can't say... There's a new Curtis J. Weaver book. Let's read it. Like,
0: I don't know what's going to happen in six months. And it wouldn't have been a problem in any other medium. But in Image Comics' case, the creators basically tell you all the time, you have to buy this monthly or Mm -hmm. we don't get paid. Yeah. And, like,
1: it sucks that good books don't... Sometimes they just don't make it, right? They just don't sell for whatever reason. But Image has been behaving lately... You know, they never announce books that are delayed. They never talk about cancellations. They never tell anybody anything. Their website says that Velvet 12 comes out November 12, and then the next week, Velvet 13. Who believes that, right? It's just a knock-on effect of delay after delay after delay. They don't talk to anybody about it. They don't say anything. And then... This is a company that prides itself on being the alternative, on being the creator-owned platform, on being well, they more are, open yeah, and more willing are, to take chances. They are, they
0: are the alternative. They are taking more chances. The problem is that with this comes a level of unprofessionalism. And at a certain point, us, the readers, will have to say, and I'm an Elishcott fan. When there's a new Elishcott project announced and he tells me, via his newsletter or Facebook or an interview, buy it monthly because it's better for me and it's better for you... Should I buy it monthly? Because now he says that if material continues, and he hopes it will continue, it will be in the form of trade paperback. So I have in my home, in my little box, four issues of material, and like most comic book fans, I like everything to be in order... Everything has to be in Mm -hmm. order. So if I want to continue reading it, I will have to buy the trade now because when material two or whatever comes out, it will be in the form of trade.
1: And what I really so my issues
0: are pointless now. What I really don't understand: Image has gone. They've taken
1: so many steps to embracing the digital. They have DRM-free downloads on Comicsology. I don't understand why. If you are concerned about losing profits, if you don't want to pay shipping rates. LCSs and all that nonsense. Just put the damn comic online. Let the people who want to know how the story ends, who've been following it all along, you have to reward your readers. Other companies, <laughs> abrupt cancellations are a thing in any medium, right? How many TV shows do you know had the rug pulled out from under them? Oh, yeah. And, you know, it is what it is.
0: I think the problem is we kind of got used in this modern age of everything is rekindled, and if your show is canceled, Yahoo or some other digital platform will take it. So we. I haven't heard that yet. I know that community came back. They did not save enlisted. So Yahoo can go straight to hell. Yet, and even in comic book, especially in this age, you know, twenty years later, Miracle Man is finally published after I think ten years of break. Stray bullets. Stray bullets came back after Mm -hmm. stopping in the middle. So there is always the hope of I can continue this in my own terms. But, on the other hand, it's an you issue might of not trust. To. It's an issue of trust. Yeah. Image
1: wants us. You know, they are so upfront about we have all of the... Right, every time they go to an Image Expo, here are all of our number ones, here are all of the books that we're planning, come see all these interesting <laughs> projects. They need us to trust them, right? To buy these number one issues, to get hooked on the story, to trust that there's a point... But trust needs to be earned. You cannot be cancelling books without saying anything. If you were only reading image solicitations and you didn't know anything that was going you wouldn't even know Umbrella had been cancelled. There's no final issue. There's no, uh this book will not be returning. There's no great finale. Nothing. They don't
0: inform their customers as Tell to me, the did most Eagles basic... Season 2 ever finish?
1: Issue 9 has been delayed. That's the end of the second arc uh into november again yeah. like with gust storm's artwork i can understand that i don't know how it's doing sales wise because the book comes out every three months but Eagles would be another book that if it were canceled midway through
0: you would be angry
1: i would be angry but it would also be very difficult for that creative team to then or for image for example for eric stevenson you know he is making this big statement about how image is different from Marvel and DC, and they're not going to be doing variant covers, and they're going to embrace the future, and they're yeah. we, But we don't do about the most let... basic things. Yeah,
0: last episode we've talked about Saga, and because we've talked about Brian K. Vaughn. And everybody wants to be saga, which is fine, but, but
1: Saga at the end of every arc. If they're going on yeah. hiatus, it says so in the letter pages. You yeah. can't
0: miss it. And they're never late within the arc itself. It's always planned that. A story arc finished, and then there's a stopgap. So, Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples are creators, and they're great creators, and they're artists with a capital A and a capital every other letter in that word, but they're also professionals. And, it, be a professional. That's what it is. It's like you have to be
1: more open with your readers. You cannot ask us to pay $3, $4 for a number one issue when number four might not come out. And you know what? I give DC so much crap, but when they made that commitment to saying we are going to publish 12 issues of this or 8 issues of this or however many they committed to, Omega Men, right? Well, Omega Men required a little bit of prodding from the part of the readers, but yes, you are making a certain obligation towards us and we, the people who are buying your comic, need to have their trust repaid. because We, if you the don't, people, gather we the here. readers. Yeah, You know, what, you're not going to charge me $3 for a comic book and then not tell me how the story ends. Screw you. There are other books I can read that do that.
0: TV news. Yes. Something we can agree on in its ridiculousness. <laughs> uh, David Goyer. Oh, God. I'm already depressed. Our Lord and Savior. No.
1: The Antichrist.
0: Uh, has anna- David Goyer? <laughs> our Lord and Savior? Well, we're atheists. David Goyer, though? Has announced that the TV show Krypton will A, tie directly into the Man of Steel movie, Mm -hmm. and B, will take place 200 years before it. Okay. This is stupid. Does that make you suddenly want to watch it? The whole idea is stupid. Like, oh my god, it's
1: 200 years ago, now I have to know what happened. The
0: Man of Steel movie is a stupid movie, and it was so bad that by the time it was over, and all the... Money has been tallied. All the debris had fallen in Metropolis. <laughs> Warner Brothers have decided, well, we can't save this franchise. Let's bring in the goddamn Batman. That's the only thing that can save Superman movie is uh, Batman, I... which is a sad testimony about the way Warner sees Superman. I feel so bad for Henry Capel,
1: <laughs> I really
0: do. Because I. He's I, rich, beautiful, and, and an actor. I recently saw
1: him in The Man from Uncle. The guy can act when he wants to. This was a failure from above. And he's gonna be associated with that plane crash forever. When? And that is
0: so when, sad. Tell me, when has it ever been a case where a guy who played Superman has a successful post Superman career?
1: Let me think.
0: The answer well, is. Hang on, Christopher Reeve wasn't his fault because he got into that accident. Well, but, he even, but even then, every movie he tried to make that wasn't Superman... You can't even name he was, them. he was in a wheelchair. No, be- there were movies between Superman 3 and 4. He only did 4 because he wanted to finance some of his other projects. Right. There, wa- there wasn't enough time. Okay. It wasn't he did 1 and 2 and then, God forbid, he was right. in a wheelchair. What's Dean Cain been doing lately? Besides being an obnoxious Republican, he, I'll talk about that Exactly. Um George Reeves famously did nothing right. after Superman Adventures. Never and killed him. The guy who was Superman and Superman Returns, uh, what's his name? Brandon Roth no, no,
1: Brandon Roth is... He's, he's, no, he's, but
0: he's a, he's a minor guy in a TV show. He's going to be the lead in Legends of Tomorrow. Well, see, from the guy who played Superman okay. to the guy who played so the lead asking... in a spin-off to a spin-off. Okay,
1: on. you're asking who has a career. Well... Where's Tom Welling these days? Nobody knows, right? See, and there, okay. there's the fact. How do the Lex Luthers do? I'm wondering. They tend to do better. Uh,
0: Rosenberg, he's mostly a voice actor nowadays. I Eisenberg, you mean? No, the guy who played in Lex Luthor in wasn't that Gene Smallville? No, in Smallville. Oh,
1: v- that Rose. Okay, Michael Rosenberg. Yeah, he's mostly a right. voice actor and he's yeah. a good
0: one. Gene Hackman, obviously so a Gene huge Hackman. success. Okay. I don't know. Was there a Lex Luthor in the TV show who from else? the 50s? John. Oh no, but in
1: Lois and Clark it was John Shea, who then went on to head Mutant X.
0: It ran for four seasons,
1: Ooh. but I mean, uh, better yeah. or worse, than Legend <laughs> of Tomorrow. Only time only will time t- will tell. <laughs> so okay, well, David Goyer so, also said something interesting about Constantine. Did you hear that? Go ahead. That he, in the postmortem, and now that they're preparing to have Matt Ryan guest star on Arrow, David Goyer said, in hindsight, sending Constantine to ABC might have been a mistake. You think? You sent the exorcist, Hellblazer, the guy who is, like,
0: the sleeping
1: with every man and woman and demon and succubus and, and just, like, exorcism and buddy stuff flying around. It could have been And you sent
0: him to ABC? It could have been Disney Channel. Could have ended up with Shonda Rhimes. Disney's John Constantine. Oh, my God. Ugh. <laughs> okay. well Disney
1: does now technically own the son of Satan so yeah, you know, <laughs> it could go either I'm, way
0: I'm baffled by all these TV shows that takes place before the characters become interesting by default so Gotham is Batman without Batman and Smallville is Superman without Superman are you still watching Gotham? I, I haven't watched anything aside from the first half of episode one. Why would I do that to myself? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's in season three, so something's got to be going on, right? Well, financially, yes, but it doesn't make it good. Smallville lasted ten damn God, seasons.
1: ten long seasons. And
0: they ran through People, every single... The interesting thing about Superman is that he's Superman. They not had Sexy Mickey's Pitlick. I don't know how you do that. The interesting thing about Batman is that he's the goddamn Batman, not that he's... Bruce Wayne, mm. crime-solving adventure child. There is a TV show like that. It's called Richie Rich. Ew. What? He's a rich child who solves crimes. No. no. And his parents man. are never there. You don't know
1: if his parents have been violently murdered. Maybe Richie Rich was Bruce Wayne all along. And that was just like his alter ego.
0: Well, yes.
1: And Alfred was, oh no, don't let me go down that road because if I make the comparison between uh, The connections are yeah.
0: always there. All right. So, uh,
1: I have a rent in my soul today, which I would like to unleash. Rent away. Yes. So conservatives got their shiny Mormon underwear in a twist recently over the new Captain America, Sam Wilson, Fox and friends aired a segment claiming that the first issue of the new Captain America series, uh, which features Sam Wilson fighting the sons of the serpent who are characterized as extremists, conservatives and racists, that it's all a PR stunt. That Captain America shouldn't be expressing opinions on immigration. The anchor actually said, what happened to the good old days when Cap punched Hitler in the face? Now, I want to say this. People who are listening to this podcast, I want you to really hear what I'm about to say. Because when something like this happens, there's one thing you need to bear in mind. They are not reading comics. Nobody at Fox News has the Comicsology app on their phone. They don't go to Forbidden Planet. They don't know who Nick Spencer is. They don't know who Sam Wilson is. They know nothing. They are the Jon Snow of news outlets. They don't read comics and therefore their opinions about comics have exactly that much credibility. All of this talk about how Captain America should be apolitical and it's not fair to have him express liberal views and is disrespectful to conservative Marvel fans. There is no such animal as a conservative Marvel fan. If you are the type of conservative reader who gets offended at the sight of a homosexual character or a woman wearing clothes or a black guy talking about race in America, you were never reading Marvel comics anyway because this has been going on for decades. Captain America should be apolitical. Richard Nixon was a supervillain who blew his brains out in the White House. And after that happened, Steve Rogers dressed up as a male stripper, unzipped all the way to his navel, calling himself Nomad the Man Without a Country. What apolitical. What are you talking Captain about? Captain America had a gay friend in the 1980s. Do you remember Peter David's Incredible Hulk had Jim Wilson, Sam's nephew, die of AIDS? And that was a whole storyline? Yeah. Where were these conservative readers then? They didn't get offended by that? Also, there it's w-
0: BS. There was nothing apolitical about punching Hitler before America entered the exactly.
1: war. Exactly. These people do not read comics. They don't know the first thing about the Marvel Universe. These are people who are just trying to get outrage. They are trying to generate ignorant, stupid responses of, "Whoa, how dare he say these things? Excuse me. You don't know who the Sons of the Serpent are. This dumbass anchor sitting there going like, well, you know, Captain America used to stand for this. Never. Maybe Mark Miller's Captain America. And if that's the standard you want to go by, you need to reevaluate your life. Okay? I miss
0: the Serpent Society.
1: There is no such thing as a conservative Marvel reader because if you were a conservative reader, you wouldn't be reading Marvel in the first place. Marvel has been expressing liberal views in their universe for decades. They may not always have gotten it right. God knows that sometimes when they try to be topical, they go into afternoon special territory and it's crap. But it happens, right? You remember North Star coming out of the closet? Exactly. So, no, it just infuriates me because this is a situation where people who are not comic book readers, right? They know nothing about us. They know nothing about the material they're talking about. They are just latching onto something that they perceive will piss off their audience who don't know nothing about Marvel anyway, or any kind of comic. It's, I can't say what it is because this is a PG-13 podcast, but you know what it is. And what I am saying is whenever these situations arise, you guys have to keep in mind that it's all a lie. It is a lie. These people don't know what they're talking about, They are worried about Marvel pandering to one kind of audience and neglecting another audience when that other audience does not exist. There are no Marvel conservative readers. No such thing. Stop jumping on the bandwagons. Go find your own media. Go find your own fan community. Go find texts. I'm sure Vox Day has something up his sleeve. Go read the the Wet Dogs or whatever they're called from the Hugo Awards. They're all there. They're waiting for you. World
0: at Naily. All of that crap.
1: Go right ahead. You leave our material and our stuff out of it. And stop trying to pretend like this is a new thing. Okay. Because anyone who has read Marvel... Knows that this is how it's now, No.
0: I don't think that it's true to say that there is no such thing as a Marvel conservative fans, because conservatives can read liberal stuff and enjoy it. I read and enjoy fables, and Bill Willingham is unapologetically and opinionated within his comics a conservative writer. You know, you had Snow White and Bigby talking about marriage and abortion, and basically the comic announcing... Mm. I think on the sixth issue, no, no, no. We fables don't do abortions. Such things are not done. And, of course, Operation Israel in, the, in issue 50. So there's no problem with that. But to pretend, like you said, to pretend it as if most of Marvel creators being somewhat liberal, you know, none of them, is. I think, would enter something that you call extreme leftism because they're aiming for a major audience most of the time. Marvel has always been a somewhat liberal company. With its creators, with its managers, with its political leanings. Because, well, most creators of comics are liberals. Unless you're Chuck Dixon or Billy Willingham, that's it, right? Maybe Ethan Van Syver? And what's Chuck Dixon doing these days? Yeah. Winter World.
1: No, but the difference is, again, like you're talking about conservatives expressing their political views... Within the comics industry. Nobody chased Bill William out with torches, right? The man wrote fables for a hundred and fifty issues. He had his say, and nobody said
0: boo. Yeah, Chuck if Dixon you didn't basically like it, you didn't read it. Yeah, Chuck Dixon basically ran Batman throughout the mid 90s. Exactly. This is why I'm saying the kind of conservative reader that Fox
1: is appealing to in an attempt to piss them off would not be reading Marvel in the first place. Sam Wilson's talking about immigration, something is wrong in America. Sit the hell down. Get out, okay? Get off the goddamn bandwagon. You don't know what you're talking about. Just stop. I am sick to death of people who are not part of the community. People who are not readers. People who... Like, they're not part of this narrative that they're commenting on. Opening their traps and trying to... I don't even... Like, what is the point of this? Is Nick Spencer going to change his approach to Sam Wilson? And listen... I'm not saying that that issue didn't have some problems because Nick Spencer as a writer, let's say, lacks a certain subtlety if we're being charitable.
0: Yeah. Not the most... Well, bullying Marvel has worked for Fox in the past. You remember that, speaking of Captain America, the Ed Brubaker, Bucky Barnes, when he was Captain America, there was this one issue where they went, he and Sam Wilson went to a rally and the people... Oh, holding the daggers. Si- yeah, yeah, held a sign mocking uh, the teabaggers sure. and basically Fox bullied Marvel enough so that in reprints <laughs> I said
1: teabaggers I mean tea party well that's tea what teabagging is something else well hard, that like. was the joke but yeah the, yeah this the partyers comparing them to scrotums really isn't that far of a <laughs> much they of a bullied stretch. Marvel
0: enough that in reprints the signs were changed
1: Yes, that's a minor thing, though. That's like changing the artwork. I completely disagree with it. I mean, it's, it's so, crap that it happened. So
0: maybe in future reprints of this Captain America, Sam Wilson. They'll do what? Sam Wilson the fly and scream, I oppose immigration, Donald Trump for presidency, 2016. Uh, I don't think that they would alienate Nixon. Would Spencer Iron Man vote way?
1: Donald Trump? Iron Man would vote for himself. True, true. Yeah, you know, he's like, well, if they're president, why can't I be? If you want a rich schmuck to run for president, well, I'm he, right here. He was right? the Minister
0: of Defense and Head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Exactly. It's
1: like, you know, I have the credentials, I have money, I have this cool suit of armor. Does Donald Trump have a cool suit of armor? No, he does not. Don't
0: give Donald Trump
1: ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Do not... Iron Trump. He anyway, he so would.
0: just... Speaking of Marvel... Speaking of Marvel. So Jason Aaron recently signed exclusive. Which is meaningless. It's basically, he signed I Will Not Work for DC. Which... Yeah. He has not done in seven <laughs> years like, now. Think of all the Batman comics we were never going to get anyway. <laughs> yeah, because he's writing two titles for Marvel. He's writing two titles almost to Image. What is it, Southern Bastards? And The is right. coming out right, right now. So he wasn't going to do anything for DC. Yeah. He basically made Marvel give him more money, I think, to just I say, mean, I won't do it. That's the exclusive. Is it DVD. more profitable? I assume so.
1: The interesting thing here, I mean, in itself, you're right. The fact that Jason... He should
0: have more... done it with every company separately. Marvel, give me more money or I will go to IDW. Oh, Marvel. like, like uh, John Constantine did with that when he sells his soul to the three devils yeah, simultaneously. Yeah. Marvel, <laughs> give me more
1: money or I will go to Boom. Well, listen, he can do it. I mean, he's one of the top name writers these days. The thing that gets me is that when this first started, it came, on th- I think, on the heels of Snyder signing exclusive to DC... And there was a part of me that which was going, is, I don't want to go through like those which, exclusive wars.
0: Which, again, is meaningless because usually the writers write for one big company and then for Image and or IDW. But the last time this happened, it
1: had serious effects on comics. I mean, I remember Judd Winnick signed exclusive to DC. And then as a result of that, they had to get Chuck Austin to write Exiles, which was a fate that nobody deserved. And then... There was all of this, like the shuffling of writers between companies ended up becoming so insane. i are always it, afraid of Chuck Austin. Whenever we talk, it always We've said his name twice. Do not say it a third time or he'll be in the February solicits and we don't have time for that.
0: He's doing animation. He's fine there.
1: Satan. That was the worst writer Marvel ever had. I'll, I'll put that down there.
0: Howard Mackey. Worse than Howard Mackey.
1: <laughs> Howard Mackey didn't say let's have Havoc pee a new body for Iceman or have Jubilee like standing over a uh, skin's grave and being like I really wish I had had sex
0: with him America's war with Canada in mutant Day. No, blowing up no, the moon
1: no still not as bad as okay, our, hyperion telling ms our, marvel our, our w- choc- we'll have sex our chuck austin versus
0: Howard mackey podcast will now resume its natural
1: <laughs> yeah so i don't want this to turn into another situation where dc and marvel start snatching up writers even though there isn't a lot of crossover these days which is unfortunate when you think about it because yeah i might want to see what jason Aaron's superman looks like out of curiosity right you never know I might want to see Scott Snyder do something with Marvel. Kn-
0: knowing DC, canceled Scott's within
1: five issues. Scott Snyder's Ghost Rider. Tell me that doesn't seem interesting, at least. Right? Like, there there are ways that you could do these things. In theory. And I just don't want this to turn into another, because when did this happen? This was at the tail end of the Jemis era, right? Yeah. Exclusives everywhere.
0: Uh, more Marvel news. TV Marvel news. Moon Knight apparently headed to Netflix. Yeah. Good. Now... I, I I like this idea.
1: Yes. There's a caveat, though. Yeah? The caveat is that in terms of the rumors itself, it seems that Moon Knight may be positioned as a replacement for Iron Fist. Because they haven't announced casting for Iron Fist yet. They haven't announced premise. They don't know nothing about what's going on over there. And Jessica Jones, I think, is launching in about a month. Yes. And Luke Cage is already on the schedule for early 2016. So they don't even have, they have introduced Jaron Hogarth, who's a supporting character in Iron Fist, but I do think that it's a problem. If Moon Knight ends up replacing Iron Fist because they're not interchangeable characters. Like Iron well, Fist has existing dynamics with Luke Cage, with Daredevil also. When you think about it, if you're using like the Brew Baker run, right? There's a connection there. And I would really hate for Danny Rand not to get his turn. Especially since, when you think about it, Moon Knight, as a character, he's a gadget hero,
0: right? The thing with Moon Knight is that nobody ever had one fixed idea about what he is. Mm-hmm. The original Moon Knight was Marvel's Monster Hunter. You know, he right. appeared in Werewolf by Night and Such before he had a, a solo series. But well, what would you say is the archetypal Moon Knight <sighs> then? Like, if well, you had to ever, boil him down well, to... Well, a... ever since the mid-2000s, the big idea is that Moon Knight is the crazy superhero. He's the guy with right. multiply personalities. Which, which is, be... is a great hook. Mm. And Warren Ellis' six-issue run, I think, had a good idea about what to do with Moon Knight, which is... It's not a character piece. It's basically boiling down to an idea. An idea of somebody who does crazy stuff because he actually is crazy. Right. Could you do that with
1: Netflix, though?
0: Well, yeah, I think so. In many ways, I would prefer Danny Rand to be in a movie. Because when I think Iron Fist, I think big budget fantasy kung fu stuff. Really? Yeah. yeah. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Iron Fist. That's what I'm thinking of,
1: and but most of his adventures are urban. Well, crime la- later
0: adventures, I, early Iron Fist, you know, before it was Iron Fist and Power uh, Man, even Immortal Iron Fist, which by all accounts is the best run on the character, was big. You know, they went to the hidden know? cities and mystic worlds. I think the
1: problem with that is that it tends to isolate him, though. If he's wandering around like in fantasy well, I- realms, he's not with Luke Cage. And I mean, we know that Misty Knight has been cast. So... Uh, those characters aren't joined at the hip. They don't have to be. No, but the whole point of the Defenders is the idea that these four will meet in the end, well, right? That they have some kind of existing connection. Luke Cage is appearing... Apparently, his role is a lot larger than than we thought, by the way. He's appearing in Jessica Jones as well, a major character.
0: Jessica, jo- Jessica Jones wasn't part of these characters originally. She appeared 20 no, years Red after Hunt. them. From the point of so view Red of Red the Khan Marvel... Moon- yeah, so Ratcon Moon Knight into a role with Luke Cage, with... Daredevil with Jessica Jones. But then,
1: if you do that, and he is still the crazy split personality superhero,
0: how does that work? He's the wild card. Hmm. He's several wild cards in one deck. (laughs) That is the craziest deck you'll ever see. And if you, maybe you can joke about it doing the Brian Bendis thing where he fought. No. Different personalities were Avengers. No. So he's... I'm Iron Man. No, you're not. You're a guy in a white... Who in a white they? pyjama. It was Iron Man, Spider-Man... No, no, Man no it Captain America, Wolverine, and Spider-Man. Right.
1: Which I guess in terms of archetyping is really... Yeah. ...the three basics. It wasn't a very good series, um, but it was a fun idea. Basically, a lot of rumors have been circling Netflix lately. There's also talk of a Punisher series. And while I'm glad that these things are happening because Netflix... You know, they seem to understand what they're doing. Well, the, we'll see. Trailer, we only had one TV show. No, no. The trailer for Jessica Jones was phenomenal. In a few images, they really do manage to capture <laughs> her perfectly. So I would like more Marvel Netflix series, like urban level crime fighting sort of thing. But I don't want it to
0: derail the larger project. Okay. And the final bit of news is movie news. Yes. Warrior Nun Arella mm-hmm. is solicited for a trilogy. Is that Ariella or... Ar- or Ariella? Ariella? Ariella, Ariella. It's meant to That's be trilogy a trilogy of live-action movies. It's a playoff nipples, basically. Okay. It is. I mean... Yeah. So, Warrior <laughs> Non-Arella yes. is a manga-inspired comic book by Ben Dunn, which was first published in not 1994. Dunn, indeed. Uh, via Antarctic Press. And she's a spinoff from Dunn's own Ninja High School. Of course. Just as good as you imagine, which is to say, not very. And she's... Appears to be, from what I can read, a very 90s comic indeed about a nun who finds the halo of a missing angel and uses its powers to help fight evil for the Vatican. Why is it always the Vatican? Why, whenever you have a fighting Christian unit, it's always the Vatican? It's because, never the Protestants? Because. It's
1: never the Anglicans? Because, uh, the Vatican need to be shown as doing something other than what they usually do. Why does warrior nun Ariella have an enormous cleavage is what I want to know. I mean, I know why, but like within the context of the universe. Why? And the boob window, as why? most nuns do. Why the boob window?
0: Because it was the 90s. A nun, though? A nun? It An actual
1: the- Catholic nun with it-
0: boobage. For It was what? the 90s. That's the end for everything. It Are was- you going to watch this movie, Tom? <laughs> well... <laughs> bad ideas have been made into good movies before. Not like this, though. We'll see. Because I'm trying to imagine, like, you're sitting in the
1: theater and then the new the nun shows up with the... But
0: really, why would you even pay for the rights to this idea? Hollywood is crazy for comic book movies. They have scraped long past the bottom of the barrel. And I want to mention again, we have still to get our promised Goon CGI animated movie. Aww. Which was promised and was given a... Was that an actual thing? There was a teaser trailer years ago. Years um, and years ago. Yeah, you can look it up on YouTube. Okay. And it never happened? No, just never never in the stars, apparently. But we do get this. I'm sure it'll scratch <sighs> yeah. the same itch. Mm. Yeah, the goon, <laughs> warrior Nanarella. On the same level, the Eisner Award winner, Eric Powell, and <sighs> Ben Dunn. Yeah, Ben Dunn, indeed. Previews? Previews. Uh, Who do you want to start with? Marvel, I okay. guess, yeah. Uh Rocket Raccoon and Groot number 1 written by Scott Young drawn by Philip Andrea. It's a continuation of the Rocket Raccoon adventures only now he comes with additional Groot, which right. is. Foreign. We should note that this is the January 2016 solicitation, so New Year old comics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh the big idea behind this Is this surreal- also a follow up to Jeff Lovness's Groot? Uh, I assume so The big idea is that uh, Rocket Raccoon is now A wanted criminal Throughout the galaxy That could be true of Groot and, too uh, Yeah and that he and Groot Are on the run Okay It's a fun idea I mean Young did a really good job With Rocket R- Raccoon so. And I Young. haven't read the Groot series But apparently it was pretty good I'm waiting for the trade But
1: um Yeah sure. Okay More Rocket and Groot Why not Captain Marvel number one, this is by Michelle Fizikas and Tara Butters writing, Chris Anka on art. Uh, these are the Agent Carter showrunners that we've mentioned before, and now we know the premise. Carol Danvers is taking Alpha Flight. Yes, Alpha Flight. It even says that in the solicitations. No, you didn't misread that. It is Alpha Flight. She's taking them to space. And it got me thinking. Well, that's the one thing to do with Alpha Flight. That's one One way ticket to the sun. Here's what I'm wondering, though. Maybe this is what was missing from Deconic's run, this sense of an ensemble in which Karen is the lead. Because I know she had her supporting cast there, but they were all these like interchangeable civilians that I could never remember who did what. Maybe positioning her as the leader of her own team is one way to sort of fix that problem.
0: Poor Alpha Flight; they're always getting all these Americans coming in and taking over, and <laughs> rem- taking them away. I like. remember when there was this Omega Flight series for post Civil War, and half of the team was composed of Americans, including U.S. Agent. Oh God! So I I'm remember. the roaster of Canada's <laughs> premier superhero team, U.S. Agent no! and Beta Ray Bill, How who's long- a literal alien. How long did that last? No, Five it was issues. a mini. No, it was a mini. It was announced oh. as a mini, yeah. and it wasn't bad. It was just hilarious. I mean Canada and, just in all the wrong ways. Well, Canada, Canada in the Marvel universe is evil, right? It's, it's the evilest country. They have Department H and it's Weapon a X of Wendigo's and Wendigo and flights, yeah. And, and man-eating stuff. Just a mess. Yeah, that, that It's country. an evil
1: country. Where is what is the Marvel universe version of Justin Trudeau? I want to know. Is he like uh,
0: a mind control villain or something? I don't know. There there's got to be He's one of the puppet master's puppets, so I think. They- <laughs> Uh, Spider-Man, Deadpool number one, written did by not. Joe Kelly and drawn by Ed McGinnis. I did not see that coming. Um, so listen, Deadpool number okay? eleven.
1: Do you remember that uh, Joe the Kelly's classic, run? The he goes Deadpool, back in time to the Lee and Ditko nineteen sixty seven. Yeah, the, the issue starts with Deadpool and Blind Al dropping on Aunt May and knocking her out. I tell you, like that issue gave me belly laughs. Deadpool runs around pretending to be Peter Parker.
0: And yeah, but that's a. this is now a team-up book.
1: Right, but what I'm saying is Kelly back on Deadpool and writing Deadpool and Spider-Man, sold. Now, there
0: are two problems with that. The first is that because both of these characters are motor mouths, they <laughs> tend to drown out everybody else, so having them together could make the issue unbearable. And the second is that Deadpool has long drifted from the... Joe Kelly version, which is for us, for those who grew up in the 90s, the Deadpool. Mm-hmm. But most people nowadays, well, their Deadpool is the more wacky, less yeah. dark grim Daniel Way version, which w- we know with the multiplied personalities and the speech bubbles fighting each other. But I'm and assuming the- Kelly's just going to go back to his own type. Maybe. Yeah. Because this is a mini-series. Well, it's when not- what's the last good thing Kelly has done, though? I guess I, ca- I killed Giants him. was years ago. It yeah. was good. But was I... Was it? Yeah, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, you but, know, there but that was like five years ago. So. Okay. But it was still really good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm here for this. I, I do miss an interpretation of Deadpool that has some depth to him. You have the jokes, you have the references, it's all there, but something else going on. And that would be nice. I'd like it if if Kelly could go back there. Okay. Charles Soleil is doing another Star Wars miniseries. Charles because, Soleil is doing another series. Because of Ding. course he is. Take a drink. With Marco Giacchetto, it is Obi-Wan and Anakin. Not the best dynamic ever seen in the movies,
0: and I don't know if... Well, it wasn't seen in the movies. That was the whole problem that between... Uh, between He's holding me back. Yeah, between movie uh. one and two, we grew up a decade and between movie two and three they skipped well, the whole physically cl- he grew up a decade well mentally yeah. i think there was some regression And between movie like, two and three they skip the whole cool stuff that happens during the clone wars because that's when he was having sex that was how he was corrupted uh-huh.
1: it was all natalie Bortman's fault
0: well Stupid see i ass i, I like the dynamic because i like the uh tv shorts version the star wars clone war sure, but that was completely
1: different the animated so you should definitely check out the cgi version too it does show them in a more...
0: And recent Marvel, Star Wars comics have all been pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, we liked the Aftermath. Mm -hmm. I liked Star Wars and Darth Vader and came great. Ridiculously good. So, Marvel is usually... When it comes to Star Wars, they're still keeping up appearances. Yeah, at the moment, they are bringing their A-game.
1: Presumably at Disney's behest. Like There's all of this hype building up towards Episode 7. So, I'm guessing that that's where they're going.
0: Okay, Odd thing. I haven't been following the A Force Presents volumes because it's not for me. Which one is A? What's A Force Presents? It's a collection of Marvel's female characters given trade paperbacks. What? Yeah, you know, you had A Force Presents Volume One. And what I, is assume- that?
1: Hmm? I I have no idea what you're
0: talking about. It's a collection of stories featuring their female characters. What sort stories? Of all of them. A Force. These presents- are reprints. Yes. Yes. A, oh, a- okay. Force Presents Volume Three T P B. And I haven't been following them. I assume, you know, volume one was the introductions of Miss Marvel and the new Captain Marvel for the new crowds. But apparently, if you're following these, they actually, every one of them presents the same stories in order. So, A Force Presents volume three has Black Widow number three, Captain Marvel number three, Miss Marvel number three she number three, and Thor, number three, no. and Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number three. No, you dumbasses. That's not how you collect material. Oh, God, no. It's weird, but on the other hand, it's much cheaper than actually buying them in issues. But it's very weird. It's like, you have to really like all of these series at the same time. Simultaneously,
1: <laughs> God,
0: it's an who odd. did this? You yeah. know who did this? Age of Apocalypse. When they every time
1: they reprint Age of Apocalypse, it's always book one has all the number ones, book two has all the number twos.
0: And, and it's like, Marvel, Marvel, sense. Marvel have this stuff with their European reprints like Panini, but they usually don't do it in trades. They do it in you know bigger issues, you know uh eighty page issue that collects several stories. This is just weird. It's, this is a weird way to collect was, stuff. If it was collecting completed stories, I could understand, but like you're.
1: What was issue three of Thor? That was right in the middle of yeah, the Ice Giant. Thing. It's, it's a like, middle of
0: story arcs. What? Why would you... Marvel. Also, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl and Black Widow. Not the same thing. No, oh my god. You have Unbeatable Squirrel Girl,
1: Black Widow, Ms. Marvel. Captain Marvel. <laughs> Captain Marvel. She-Hulk. And She-Hulk. I, talk about a tone clash. I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, DC? DC. So we have The Legend of Wonder Woman number one. This is by Rene DeLiz and Ray Dillon. A nine-issue miniseries that, as far as I can tell, is meant to replace Sensation Comics yes. as the non-finch Wonder Woman book for people who don't want to gouge their eyes out. Sensation Comics featuring low-selling Wonder Woman. Well, it seems like they're doing an origin story again. The Solicitations talks about Diana's childhood uh, I don't know DeLiz, so I
0: guess I'll try it, but I'm, you know... I, I was know. never into Wonder Woman as a character. Like, if there's a good writer slash artist behind it, I would give it a shot, but buying Wonder Woman for Wonder Woman's sake has never been my thing. That She always seems so confused, like... A literal creation of a confused guy who wanted to do one third patriotic superhero because it was the middle of World War Two, one third an a female empowerment character, and one third very, very odd sexual hang ups and Superman's girlfriend. What baffles me here is that
1: really if you want to know how to do Wonder Woman, just you know, pop in an old VHS and watch a couple of episodes of Xena, that's really all you need. I mean, if she could have been that in the DC Universe, then really, what else is there to do?
0: You know, just uh, have her run around. Speaking of uh, female titles, yes. Poison Ivy Cycle of Life and Death Number One, written by Amy Chu and Augbert Lehman. That's interesting. I don't think she ever had an ongoing series. Poison Ivy? This is no. a six issue miniseries. Even then, I assume it's sort of a mini spin off to Harley Quinn because by now DC basically admitted that. She and Harley are girlfriend and girlfriend. Right. I don't know what the status quo for Poison
1: Ivy is, though. Because the solicitations for this miniseries says she's living a double life and she's trying
0: to Well, in the New 52 relaunch, she was part of the Birds of Prey, right? Remember when they relaunched that? No. Well, she was. Okay. (laughs) I I trust you about that. She's at least not a supervillain. She's at least an anti-hero character. Right. So... That's interesting. They're trying for the sympathy route. I don't think that'll work. But you
1: know, we'll, well see if it can time, pull it off.
0: You know, as time goes by, the idea of eco terrorist is becoming more and more. Oh, the people who knew stuff before we knew them. Right. It it's it becomes she was mu- kind of crazy though. No, yeah, but it becomes much harder to say. Oh, these people who destroy industrial things that pollute are evil. It beca- oh, I see. Her cause becomes more and more sympathetic. Imagine if in the 1930s one of Batman villains was, for some reason, an anti-cigarette campaigner. You that know the Dowser. Be- who- Are we talking about Frank Miller's Batman or just general no, no, Batman? the original Batman? Okay. Imagine, oh, well, imagine, imagine well. one of Batman. He classic- have shot him. No, imagine one of Batman classic gallery villains, and because he was one of the big classics, he would stay in publication for decades later. But as time goes by, our opinions about cigarettes. Change sure, and so he becomes automatically less villainous. Okay. Oh, this guy dousing cigarettes. Well, we can't really call him a villain. He's doing good now. I guess that makes sense. So yeah,
1: Swamp Thing number one by Len Wayne and
0: Kelly Jones. If we were the type of podcast that puts in sound effect, I would put in the 1990s animated series Swamp Thing tune. (laughs) Have you ever heard that? (laughs) No. Swamp Thing, you are amazing to the tune of Wild Thing.
1: Oh God! No. He had a swamp mobile. No, he did not. Now you're <laughs> lying to me. I was with you up until that point, and now I know you're lying. Yeah, okay. Swamp Mobile. So, this is a six-issue miniseries, and I'm going to say up front that I'm not going to read this. No. Because Len Wayne has the misfortune of having been completely overshadowed by his
0: successors with both Swamp Thing and X-Men. Everybody has this misfortune <laughs> of being... When it comes to Swamp Thing, every single guy who writes it is wearing a sign that's saying, I am not Ellen Moore. Yeah. Please kick me hard. It's, and uh, you had good writers working on it. It was one of Brian K. Vaughan's first works. uh it Scott was S- terrible. Scott Snyder did it, but you can't do it. No. It's like Animal Man after Grant Morrison. Uh, you can try, but no. It's-, it w- it's an approach that
1: is so definitive that no one has ever been able to come up with counter-proposal or a counter-suggestion that could say, well, let's do another thing
0: instead. Tell John's drawing so it'll look pretty. Yeah, but, you know, but I mean, we won't look, read it.
1: Wayne, Wayne is one of those creators who should always have his little book. You know, he should have his project. He should get work. That's absolutely true. It's like Claremont in that way. Although Claremont is apparently not writing books for Marvel because I don't see him anywhere anymore. But, you know, he's one of those creators who they earn their keep and they should have their corner, but not for me. You know, I don't need that.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Egypt TPB, a collection of a lost vertigo classic, which it's very lost because I had no idea such thing existed. Mm. Written by Peter Milligan, drawn by Glyn Dylan, Roberto Corona, and Philip Gasconi. Glyn Dylan is excellent. Have you ever read his, uh, I what was think it? Tone of something? I think
1: that I've read this before.
0: In single-issue format. I think I have. Th- that's I can't 20 remember. years back at least. Um, I, I can't be sure. A hopeless drifter named Vincent awakens to a fantastic world where magic exists and gods walk the earth. He's been killed and reborn, chased by mummies, tortured by priests, and seduced by goddesses. But to complete his quest, Vincent must face the most horrible mystery of all, the truth about himself. Yeah, that's 90s vertigo right there. Pretty much. Yeah, but well, I like 90s vertigo. So did I.
1: Um... Hmm. I don't know, because Milligan in the mid-90s in Vertigo was capable of feats of both great storytelling and baffling weirdness. So that's basically Peter Milligan forever and ever. Pretty much, yeah. So roll the dice, I Mm -hmm. guess. This could be his Electra, or it could be his Enigma, you never know. Anything else? Well, Daniel H. Wilson, author of Robopocalypse and a bunch of SF novels that are apparently pretty good, Has a graphic novel called Quarantine Zone coming out in March. This is with art by Fernando Passarin and Matt Ryan. Evil is an actual virus that affects your brain. So people who've been infected get quarantined away while the rest of the world becomes sterile and clean. Seems a bit typical. But Wilson has a knack for subverting... Well, have you ever read his
0: stuff? I did read one of his novels. He's okay. I've tried to read Amped, which was boring Mm. as hell. Hmm. I-, I quit after 100 pages, you know, basically throwing That's it away. Fair. So, no. Okay. Not for me. Image? Image. Okay. A bunch of new number ones. Pencilhead number one of five. That's a miniseries by Ted McKeever. Ooh, wh- there's a name from the past. <laughs> yeah. Who is always there, you know. Speaking of weirdness. Uh, Pencilhead is Ted McKeever's semi-autobiographical take on the whacked-out world of comic book industry. Journey along with as we witness the protagonist, Poodle Waddle, mm-hmm. trials and tribulation working in sustaining his place in the absurd world of comics. Okay, mm. you know I'm interesting because Ted McKeever is wonderfully weird, and watching him do autobiographical stuff would be amazing. The problem that I'm having here, yeah, is that
1: the reputation of the comic book industry as it currently stands. All of the problems that we're aware of, everything we hear on Twitter, Mm -hmm. all of this stuff is a lot more prominent in the public consciousness, right? In the discourse than it would have been, say, 10
0: years ago when Ted McKeever was actually doing more stuff. So he's always he always has something, you know, last year he had Miniature Jesus. Did you read Miniature Jesus? I've read one issue of Miniature Jesus. There you go. It did feature a Miniature Jesus, which I'm all for.
1: He didn't lie, you know. I don't know if this is the time to be doing sort of this parodical Marvel bullpen, let's make fun of ourselves, meta, meta, meta. Well, I assume because it's
0: McKeever, it's not just going to be jokes. There's going to be some pain behind it. Uh,
1: Image is printing this, so I have a hard time believing that he's going to be... So, how's Scott Alley doing these days? You know, like something like that. I don't know. Not sure that that's for me. Okay. Joe Kelly's four eyes is back. With Hearts of Fire, it's another four-issue miniseries with Max Fiamara on art. Have you read it? Me Have not read it. Or- but I will be going back to look at the first arc because the description was interesting. It is a boy and his dragon... Who's part imaginary, part real. ...flying around Depression-era New York, burning the hell out of it. That sounds like it's something I could be into. I don't know. Okay. So, uh, Four Eyes was one of those things that, at the time that it was published, it just went completely under my radar. I didn't even know it existed
0: until like a couple of months ago. So if I can track it down, why not? Uh, Prophet Air Force number one. Air Force will be the six-issue miniseries that will conclude uh, Brandon Graham's and many others, uh, Prophet Saga. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Prophet, so I'm there. But obviously, if you haven't read the previous four trades, you've got nothing Maybe to don't come in. In right now. <laughs> yeah. It's with art by it's...
1: Giannis Milano
0: Giannis. He's the main artist, but I assume there would be others because... Well, Graham but would probably. By this point, Prophet has become an artist showcase with mm-hmm. many artists per issue. And it usually works. But I would say that even if you're reading it from the get-go, the storytelling has become... Very confusing, mostly because half of the characters are clones of one another. Yeah. You have like 20 prophets by this point, and some of them are only differed by, you know, the slightest bits. The one with the one tail, the one with the two tails, the one with the long knife, the one with the missing eye, the old man prophet, the young man prophet. And the he shuffles prophet. them
1: around like between issues to the point where yeah. it's like, okay, that's the one that you saw in the very first arc, right? But then this other one is really skinny, and so that's not the one who was... There. It just gets really... And then... You have the antagonist is apparently like the original John Prophet. No, he's the he protagonist. He? No, the one yeah. who's like old man Prophet. No, he's the
0: protagonist. How is he the protagonist? Because the, we learn pretty quickly that the Earth Empire that we've been following for the first three issues are the bad guys. Well, I read the first three trades of this and I have
1: no idea what you're talking well, about. But okay. okay. So, um, <laughs> well, I mean, look, it is good that he's finally getting to conclude this because Prophet did sort of... Meander off into oblivion at some point. So it's well, good that he's back. Yeah, F11 was declared and then pushed back sort of like, several times. Yeah. So it's good that he's getting that finished. It's, you know, wrap up profit properly for the people who's reading it. Uh, get back to Eight House, you know, as such things do. Uh, another title from Image is Cry Havoc Number One. This is by Simon Spurrier and Ryan Kelly. And I'm just going to quote the solicitation here. This is not the tale of a lesbian werewolf who goes to war. Except it kind of is. Now you're thinking about it. Okay, so Spurrier. I'm so glad that he has multiple projects coming out now. Like He has a few coming out for Marvel. He has a few coming out for Image. I am always going to be on the lookout for the Simon Spurrier project that finally crosses like that last bit of distance he needs to be a great writer. He's so close. And I feel like every time he gets commissioned to do something... This could be the one. So I'm, I'm definitely going to check this out. Also, Lesbian Werewolf Who Goes to War. Sure, why not? Dark Horse? Dark Horse, yes.
0: Uh, leaving Megalopolis, Surviving Megalopolis, number one of six. This mm-hmm. is a miniseries continuing the Gail Simone and Jay Califori's graphic novels about superheroes going darker than dark. Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, did you read the graphic novel? I have. I- I'm, at this point, I'm so tired about evil superheroes. So it was well told as much as it could have been considering that I'm not a big fan of the concept and Mm Gail Simone has always been a good character writer, but it was so grim and so violently crazy. At a certain point, I was like, is this an Avatar project?
1: No, I wouldn't go that far. Mm. But I would say that the thing that I found interesting here (sighs) was that what Simone did was basically say, okay, these are not heroes who have been turned evil. They're heroes who've gone insane, as in psychotic.
0: Well there was some sort of outside interference into it. A a Cthulhu monster, apparently.
1: Which makes perfect sense in the context of, you know, Cthulhu, you look at him you go nuts. So that angle was interesting in terms of how she characterized the heroes' turn psychopaths. Leaving Megalopolis did end on a sort of open note. So I do think that there's more to explore there, especially with the protagonist character who ends up sort of in a standoff that never actually resolves. So sure, why not?
0: Okay, uh, a weird one. Lone Wolf twenty one hundred number one four, written by Harry Heiser and drawn by Miguel Sepelavadora. So that's a continuation slash homage to the classic Lone Wolf and Cub manga series. Mm-hmm. Why? The original is perfect. Hang uh, on. The original is already right now being continued by the first writer in the form of New Lone Wolf and Cub, which Dark Horse already publishes. So why must you do an American Tribute Act in the cyberpunk future? Why do I remember
1: this as not being the first time? Uh, well, There was movie? a
0: Lone Wolf 2100
1: right? yonks ago. Was that also a manga or was it no. also
0: Western? I think it was a Western adaptation. Hmm. Why? I don't think that it's necessary. I mean, yeah. what is this? Is this a retelling? It's a reboot? What? Uh, uh young Daisy Ogami's blood. Daisy Ogami, obviously the grand granddaddy of the original Ito Ogami, who was the protagonist of the first. Okay. Uh, Lone and Cub holds the secret to a cure to the future apocalypse. If Ito, her android protector, so nope. he's, yeah. Nope. We're done. We're we yeah. done. It's okay. Blah. Uh,
1: so boom. Okay has no big debuts. This seems to be part of their trimming down of the existing line. But we do have an issue number zero for the Higgins-Praseo Power Rangers book with extra stories, which I was not anticipating, from Marigret Scott and Steve Orlando.
0: Marigret Scott is very good. She does the Transformers Windblade series right Mm, now, which is fine. All right, so they poached her from IDW. Well, she's still there, so she's not leaving. Okay. In terms of number zeros,
1: I feel like... We should probably look at it, even though I don't know what to expect because it's power. Because like, there's two ways this can go, right? Mm -hmm. If you're doing a 2016 take on the mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you are either going to play it completely straight,
0: which means after school specials, stupid. uh, Is it time yet for 90s nostalgia?
1: Oh, we're already there. Yeah.
0: So or, will they be fighting the Pog Monster? They could be. Pog Monsters, why not?
1: Or they could be subversive, right? In the way that Gem is.
0: Well, Gem know, is not subversive. It's well, just updated.
1: It's subversive in the sense that it is, in many ways, working against sort of the sanitized 1980s tropes. Yes. So you could do that. And I mean, this is Kyle Higgins. He's not... He's not one of those writers who fetishizes the 90s and be like, let's just do that, right? Except more of it. So, I don't know. And, I mean, Steve Orlando? What is he doing here, right? Fun. Sure. I mean, I feel like we should take a look at it. I don't know.
0: Uh, IDW? Yeah. Well, since we've talked about Gem, we should mention that Gem and the Holograms number 11A brings us back Sophie Campbell. Mm -hmm. And is the first part of Dark Gem Part 1. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is hilarious. (laughs) Something has gone wrong with Synergy. As Gem and the Hologram's first tour begins, something or someone called Cilicia is after them. But who or what she is? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, the cover is spectacular. Um. And I I assume they're
1: doing it as a joke, right? Probably, but I mean, this is the sort of thing that. I, I imagine, who would have seen this comic? I imagine <laughs> Warren Ellis' Dark Jim. Oh no, we don't have to. <laughs> we'll talk about Warren Ellis soon okay. enough. Okay. Speaking of weird projects, an anthology title called Amazing Forest by Ulysses Farinas and Eric Freitas Art by Julian DeFour, Matt Rhoda, Melody Offen, and Yumi Sakugawa.
0: And the idea is that every issue will be a standalone story mm. with a new art team, only Ulysses Farinas and Arik Farinas remaining as writers. Okay, that could be interesting. I don't know, again, like, with anthology titles, it's always I'm tricky. Not, uh, yeah, I'm not sure about Farinas as a writer, simply because I haven't read anything by him, but... Uh, we He didn't wa- write Judge direct no, Judge Red was written by. Uh, Douglas Walk, right. Douglas Walk. Okay. No, I, I really liked that Judge Red. You really didn't like it. I think I could see his part of the storytelling via his art, because if his storytelling is anything like his art, which is say, wild, chaotic, very, very bright, and funny, and a bit dark on the edges, I would be there. I'm interested. We haven't yeah. seen a lot of this, you know, anthology titles. We had shadow show last year but it was a mini and this is apparently an ongoing an island I guess yeah that's pretty much it
1: well because again in the current market it's really hard for you to come and say spend four dollars five dollars six dollars however much it costs on a grab bag also you know. Farinas
0: apparently I we haven't talked about it last month he's doing a new Judge Dredd series oh good which for we, which would be called Judge Dredd CD-0 all of Mega City one is transported to the Stone Age <sighs>
1: That's a great okay, idea. Okay, fine. So why not just go to the Cursed Earth? But okay. Uh One other title from IDW I thought was interesting. Luna the Vampire by Yasmin Sheik. This is old school monster stories in outer space. As you do. Could work. I don't know this writer. I don't know what the plan is here. Like this could end up being embarrassingly for kids. Brat monsters, monster high or something like that. High school high. Yeah, something like that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Or
0: it could be interesting. I don't. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Ghostbusters International, written by Eric Burnham and drawn by Den Shuning. Why do I know that name, Eric mm-hmm. Burnham? Well, he's been writing Ghostbusters for five years now, I think. Hmm. And he was one of the writing team of the new Back to the Future series. That's the one. Okay. He wrote the backstory. Okay. Backup story, not the backstory. The idea is that he's taking all of the Ghostbusters theme from the original movie. From the follow-up TV show, you remember Extreme Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that bad of a show. Thou shalt not. And all the side characters he picked up during the last five years of writing the Ghostbusters. Wait a minute, he's thinking Extreme and Not Real? Well... The re- that. well, the real characters are already there, right? The real characters are just animated versions of the original movie characters. Mm. So the idea is you have tons of Ghostbusters now. Why is there they're... so
1: much Ghostbusters continuity? Why never mind. Okay. And
0: they're going worldwide. Yeah. Whatever.
1: Could <laughs> um, be nice. One other point of interest from Valiant this time. Mm. We may have mentioned this before, Faith. Your favorite for. By Jody Houser, art by Francis Portella and Marguerite Savage. This is the Harbinger spinoff featuring uh, Faith Herbert, who is Zephyr, very entertaining character. I don't know what their status quo is now because I read Joshua Desart's follow-up to Harbinger, and it was so incredibly boring. And I don't know what's been going on with the character since then. So it'll be nice to see
0: where faith is right now, but I'm interested simply because the outhouses has the very amusing write up for when the first issue was announced. Mm. It, the title was the internet oddly positive about something. Yeah. And they had, they brought up all the comments from, you know, the very worst websites. And you would assume because it's a female title with a character who's more heavy said than usual, you'd had tons of jokes. But no, everybody was like, in Bleeding Cool, oh, it's great. And in the Newsrama, oh, it's great. She... And in C, everybody apparently loves her.
1: I think it's because from the moment that Dissart introduced her in Harbinger, she was always a character that was very much... Positive and, you know, really like embracing the joy of being a superhero in a way that I think is pretty unfashionable these days. Really off the top of my head, the only other character I can think of who has generally has fun with being a hero is Kamala Khan. And, you know, Kamala Khan has a similar positive consensus. I think that like at some point you just want heroes who Enjoy being heroes instead of punching other heroes all the time. Marvel. Mm -hmm. So that might explain why she's so popular. I certainly enjoyed her and I'm looking forward to the miniseries. Shall we go on to the reviews? Let's go on to the reviews.
0: Uh, Shall we start with Marvel? And we may start with Marvel and we may start with Karnak. Karnak number one written by Warren Ellis. Art by Jorge Zafino with coloring by Dan Brown. Uh Karnak of the Inhumans is now a warrior monk who helps the human world in return for funds for his school of gifted youngsters I'm I'm sorry, his tower of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And our first story arc begins with him being contacted by the Agents of SHIELD from the TV show, not just any agents of Shield. Are
1: they from the TV show?
0: Yes, it was Coulson and Fitz something. Oh. I hadn't noticed. And to assist in finding a kidnapped new inhuman boy. Okay. And then Karnak beats some people up.
1: What did you think of it?
0: I think it was a very Warren Ellis comics for all the good and bad that it entails. It's not as good for me as um his Moon Knight was. And for me, his Moon Knight is one of the modern classics. The big problem with it being that it's open-ended and w- Ellis, for me, I like him a lot when he writes superheroes, when he's doing done in once. Like his Sacred Avengers, again, his Moon Knight, even something like... Uh, what was the thing he did with 1,000 agents worldwide? Global Frequency. Global Frequency. Was it 1,000 or 100? Uh, what? No, it was 1,000 right. agents okay. worldwide. Whatever. I like him when he does self-concentrating stuff. So in this issue, you have a uh, lots of decompression. I, the first three pages are just, you know, a tower, a door opens, people leading someone to a phone for the sake of a joke. But it's a very good comic in the terms of it has its tone. It sets up an idea, and it looks and sounds like nothing else within the Marvel Universe. It's its own book. Sean, I see that you can, you're can you disagreeing with me. So, this is absolutely, completely,
1: totally, without a doubt, a Warren Ellis comic. Yes. And that's really all I've got. If nothing else, I think that this issue really does demonstrate how creatively bankrupt Warren Ellis is. It's just the same character beats over and over and over again. The same tired, smug, superior unsympathetic misanthrope protagonist who's so much smarter than everyone else. He can cut bullets in half just by analyzing them. He can pop a bad guy's liver with two fingers. Well, he won't the... save a kidnapped child unless he receives in payment, and I quote, the single thing that allows you to believe that the universe is a kind and beautiful place, and of course, he can effortlessly beat up all the bad guys because he's the best. Rah, 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 Well, rah, that's the point rah. of Karnak, right? That's no, the but point that's of the point of Karnak. That's the point of every single Warren Ellis protagonist in the last 10 years and i'm tired of it he keeps grafting the same personality onto every single character that he writes every single one it's amazing what was he doing before moon the one with the four superheroes gas
0: masks
1: no before injection no no
0: hero was years ago Uh,
1: no hero uh trees injection uh, What else was there? Going all the way back Supreme to... Supreme Blue Rose. Listen, all the way back to Jenny Sparks, right? All the way back to 1999.
0: Well, yeah, he has his character type. It has type. been,
1: but it's the same character type, it, like, to the T. It's not just that there's a, a formula that he follows, or that there's a minor variation where you can say, you know what? Okay, it, another writer we'll be looking at today has that formula, right? Yes. But here, he replicates these characters... To the most minute, like, the thing that Karnak says here about, like, give me your most prized possession, the thing that, that's something that every single Ellis protagonist has said no, at I, some point.
0: I disagree. Every I don't think Spider Jerusalem one, would say that.
1: Spider Jerusalem's the exception. And even then, he was the one who was running around with bowel disruptors yeah. saying, you know, give me your, uh, the. this is the chair leg of truth. And, and in fact, okay, you know But the Sherlock of Truth is a different thing. I appeal to the meme makers of the internet, just take Warren Ellis' quotes from different protagonists and mix them around and you'll see that it's exactly
0: the I same th- thing. No, the thing is, I think that with Karnak it works because the character, as he was originally conceived, you know, he was just one of the Inhuman Royal Family, but his power, Karnak's power is the ability to see weakness in anything and shatter the weak point. It works with the Warren Ellis theme of the guy who sees things the way they are. And he's very bleak about the world because he, the only thing he sees is weakness. Again, but you are describing Jason Fell.
1: You are describing... What was the name of the last one? I don't... Like, they all... At some point, they just they all together. They blare around? Because, really, when you think about it, every time he does this, it's always the same character beat. The same exact one. The fact that Karnak fits the pattern is probably the reason he's writing the yes. book. It's not that Warren Ellis was like, oh, let me take Karnak and do something different with him. No, he they just happened to find the character that Warren Ellis could already write, and now he's writing it. Like I said, creative bankruptcy. This issue doesn't have a single thing about I, it I, that you can't find in another Ellis comic down to I like do- the letter.
0: I don't think it's creative bankruptcy. I think it's just... Yeah, Warren Ellis Pellet as a character writer... Is very limited, but, you know... What's it's, new here? No, but it's true for a lot of writers. H.P. Lovecraft did his whole career with one story type, basically. Okay. And even even someone that we both like, like, say, Ed Brubaker. You know, at a certain point, you get the Ed Brubaker story. Yes, but... And Ed Brubaker is writing but hang for on. one half of no, Warneless's no, no, career. But if you want to
1: make that comparison, right? Let's look at it, absolutely. So Ed Brubaker can write The Winter Soldier. He can write Velvet. He can write the femme fatale who always shows up in the noir story, right? He can write. What else has he done? Um. You, you see? Um. No, because I'm furious right now. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's like no. He. You can at least say you know what. Velvet is not a femme fatale. There is at least one book out there, and also like the female character in Fatale is nothing like the victim well, in I, The Fall.
0: Well, I haven't read Fatal.
1: Or Sleeper. <laughs> There you go, the protagonist of Sleeper.
0: I would put the protagonist of Sleeper in many of his other books. He would fit very well in Criminal... Yes, he could fit in Captain America. How could he fit in Captain America? He would be one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who betray whatever... But not the protagonist.
1: It's like, that's the thing. It's in terms of doing your lead character, right? Brubaker at least has some variety. Not a lot of variety. Because yes, he does fall into tropes. Greg Rucka, will be talking about uh, him soon,
0: he does the same thing. And again, they write a lot less than... Warren Ellis. But that's Ellis' problem. Why does it have to be mine? If you I know... Don't, I don't think it's a problem. I think... Why not? I think it works in small doses. I But don't it's read a- not small doses. Yeah, this I, is exactly I don't read Ellis every day, and I haven't read Supreme... You Blue. could. I haven't read Supreme Blue Rose. The first issue was very different from something like this, and that was last but year. But the
1: protagonist was exactly the same. No, she was a female...
0: World-weary, sick of people. No, she was a female journalist who wanted to know the truth. She wasn't like... Ugh. Now the, there is the classic Ellis protagonist, yes, which is the guy who's it's smarter only than Ellis protagonist. the guy who's smarter than everyone else in the room. And Does that not describe Spider Jerusalem by the way? Yeah. And and his cynicism masks his hidden idealism.
1: No, there's no idealism. Well, we'll there see. might have been idealism at some point, but I think that with Ellis, he doesn't know how to communicate that anymore because all I get from this issue, for example, which is all I got from the last Ellis book too, is just like shoving down your throat how miserable everything is because he hates... Karnak hates everybody and he doesn't help anybody unless he's paid because you're all idiots and he lives in the tower of wisdom and he knows how things really work and he knows what the truth is and you don't and you're just like you're, you're miserable little things and now oh your son has allergies how sad for you I'll help him but only if you are as miserable as I am and look at all these pathetic little uh, uh goons let me touch his liver so it'll explode and then he'll tell me what I want to know then I will just skunk- kung fu
0: <laughs> everybody now the torture scene was God. a bit of a problem for me because Ellis is the type of guy who in real life is against government torture uh-huh. but in his comics the heroes constantly torture other people and it always works for them that's because it that, always comes d- that down. happens way too much in Ellis comics but listen because it always comes down to the same
1: thing with him right this is a, a writer who has a certain cynical mindset and lacks the ability to to filter that mindset in different directions. Every single Ellis comic, it's always the same ideology, right? The thinking behind it is that you have these few protagonists who know the truth, right? And they may have noble intentions. They don't anymore, but they used to have noble intentions. And they're stuck in a world that is populated by what everyone else perceives as normal, but what these characters see as some kind of inherent failure, right? It's almost Randian in a really disgusting kind of way because, oh, the parents of this boy who've been kidnapped in Karnak, why should Karnak help them? You know, they're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. Karnak knows all. Karnak sees all. The only difference between Karnak and Spider Jerusalem is that back then, Ellis still had a way of having a character express something beyond just that nihilistic cynicism because you remember like there were issues in trans metropolitan when ellis um jerusalem would help someone for no reason
0: right no like, you the, said the you, said, you the- said ellis instead of jerusalem it's fine it's fine <laughs>
1: <laughs> no but when you think about it right there were moments in trans metropolitan where spider has some kind of moment of humanity and every Ellis protagonist since, I think, The Authority,
0: possibly later... No. I mean, his Astonishing X-Men no, was I, the no. same damn thing. Well, I haven't read it. But in Fell, for example, which is a story that I really like, I think the idea that Ellis says that it's a dark world we're living in, but and his protagonists are, yes, very grim and nihilistic on the surface, but Fell is John Fell. Yeah. And I assume Karnak in due time after this first issue. I will be continuing reading this will reveal these hidden deaths, because Fel, I don't know if you remember the series Issue 8. I didn't get that. Yeah, well, one of my favorite issues of all time, because Fel spends the whole night, you know, helping, solving small cases, and ends up standing on the roof, looking at all the people that he failed and all the people he saved, and I will still be here, even though I failed all this time, because none of you are meaningless to me. And that's what you used to get with Alice. It and was like when were- he did
1: Doom 2099, right? I, I'll never forget that last issue. Dr. Doom, he's having this internal monologue because it's Doom, so yes. of course he does. And he says, you know, they're going to ask me why I do these things. And he looks out, like, at the world and he says, I love you. Don't you know that after all these years? Mm. And, like, that's a moment of you see beyond the superficial... At some point in his career, and I don't know exactly when this happened, felt when was Fell, 2005, five six. Yes. Or, so maybe, I don't know, around that period or whatever, it just, it stopped happening. I and you're saying like maybe
0: later issues will reveal I don't another maybe. side of Karnak. I don't say maybe, I say i definitely sure of it. It didn't See, happen in Moon Knight. I think it did. I believe in Warren Ellis. I don't. I mean, I'm just... You're a Warren Ellis atheist. No, because this
1: issue... Fails the first issue test, right? You're telling me, for, what? why? Not? For
0: sure, it'll be great in two no, issues no, 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 no. when Karnak stops well, being an no, asshole. No, how did it fail? It introduced the character, it introduced the concept, it gave us an. It introduced thing. the same character. It
1: fails the first issue test in the sense that there is nothing here that you can't get from the last Ellis number one, like down to the letter. I agree with you in the sense that this book will probably follow the same course. As every other Ellis book, because like I said, creatively bankrupt. So it will follow the same pattern. And at some point we will see that like, Karnak has a cat that he has never analyzed because he doesn't want to see its weakness or whatever. I don't know. Some BS like that. And it'll follow the same pattern. And it's just, you know, there comes a point where you look at a respected, beloved, intelligent author who has been churning out the same crap For 5, 10, 15 years. And you say, do you have anything else? Anything at all? Anything. The tiniest variation to show me that I'm not wasting my time here. And I feel like Ellis has not delivered that in a really long time. You read this issue and the sense that you get of Karnak as a protagonist. Setting aside the fact that he's an enormous douchebag. And I don't know anyone who would want to keep reading that for pleasure. Because there's no fun in Karnak. It's not fun. He's just this tiny little annoying guy who is smugly superior. I don't
0: know why. I think it's interesting, if you look at popular culture, it's surprising how much it become Warren Ellisized because the idea of the troubled genius who solves all our problems has become the... Characters you see on TV ever since House.
1: Ellis didn't invent that, though. No, but he, uh, he made Arthur Conan it, Doyle.
0: Well, Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes was a much more humane and sympathetic character than the one we see right now in stuff like Sherlock and even Elementary. Sure. And in a way, I f- almost think as if we're living in Ellisized culture, which is why we're tired of it. I
1: wouldn't go that far, though, because... Sherlock is a fantastic parallel, right? If you were to take an Ellis protagonist and map them onto the BBC Sherlock and the elementary Sherlock, the point of comparison there is that, yes, on the surface, they are all smug, superior, annoying bastards. See, and
0: I find BBC's Sherlock to be an annoying dude. He old. is!
1: But but then how do you differentiate between him and an Ellis protagonist? What's the difference? Mm-hmm. They have the exact same attitude. Kung Fu. Kung
0: Fu, Okay. The poor artist. We haven't talked about the art. No, one because beat. I don't. Because as a Affino is pouring his, you know, heart he is, and hands into he it. He is. So it's a bit it looks good. Yeah, it's a bit too heavy on the atmosphere. So the actual kung fu scenes, you need someone, I think, clear for Although the fight. Maybe scene. That's the point. Well, yeah, but because like you don't. Well, if you us, have a character whose uh, point as a fighter is that he's, a, you know, a super uh, martial artist who's always hits the exact spot. You can't have such heavy colors and such blaring style that I think Unless that's the point. Well, then the point is a bad point. Yeah. It's part... Now, I mentioned the color is Dan Brown because the coloring really is... It's very saturated, I'd say. I Mm -hmm. think too saturated.
1: Yeah. Um. I just don't understand
0: why. Okay. Just, no. Next. Are you coming back for
1: more? Yes.
0: Okay. I'm an Alice. All right. I'm into Alice. Reading Alice must be like Groundhog's Day for you. (laughs) you open up the new book and it's exactly like the old book. No, it's like listening to ACDC. If I wait long enough between every new album. Oh, God. But here's an excellent
1: point of comparison. So the next number one that we're going to talk about is Black Mm -hmm. Magic number one. This is by Greg Rucka and Nicholas Scott from Image. And the issue concerns a woman named Rowan. Rowan Black. Rowan Black, of course. Detective, Of course. Who is a police detective, of course. And a member of a coven of witches. And in the context of this issue, we find out that her work life and her witchy life are about to collide in a very unusual way. She gets involved in this hostage situation and it quickly turns out that it is a trap that has been set specifically for her. And specifically because of what she is. And that's about as far as the first issue goes. Now, this is how Rucka isn't like Alice. <laughs> okay. And this is where we disagree you again. Okay. Okay. Like, you could look at this issue and say that Rowan Black is just another in a long, long line of, you know, the strong woman with the dark past, because that's Rucka's type, right? That's what he yep. loves to do. And Star now Wars Aftermath, less than we two months just ago. just did Shattered Empire. And that was... What was her name? I don't her mean, name
0: was Rowan Black.
1: Her name was <laughs> Rowan Black. Absolutely. Red Star Rebel. You could absolutely... And before that, it was Kate Her Kane. name was Tara
0: Chase. Star her, Rebel. Her name
1: was Lazarus. Oh, absolutely. All of that is true. But... But... The difference here is the introduction of a concept that Rucka does not do with as much regularity, which is the whole witchcraft element, right? The idea of the coven. Now, I know... I remember that in his Batwoman run on Detective Comics. I didn't read what came before that, the New 52 and all that. But I remember that there was some kind of occult thing going on. The five books of magic? The, no, no. in The five books of crime? In de, no, in Detective Comics it was something else. It was something about uh, werewolves and some kind of circus of crime with animal hybrids. And they were sacrificing people. There was something going on there that wasn't the focus of the story. Something about Cain, as yeah. in the biblical Cain. I yes. don't know. Anyway, so there's that, right? But then that is not something that Rucka does on a regular basis. Because when you look at it, what do we usually have with Rucka? If he's doing the tough woman, then you have Town, right? They are usually situated, in fact, as policemen, like Rowan Black yes. herself. The mystical element here... Is the innovation that has me interested in more? Because let Warren Ellis try and write a fantasy story, please God. If like if there is an editor out there who is listening, please commission Warren Ellis to do a high fantasy story. Because I want to like that's the sort of thing that would have at least had me say yes. You can have your cynical bastard protagonist as usual, magical truth saying Spidey, whatever you want. But why don't you try doing that somewhere else? Like why does it have to be in the same place with the same tone with the same tropes if you want to do strong woman fine he did strong woman in star wars so at least you say like there's a whole backdrop over there that he's using and here with black magic you have this whole there's a scene here where the coven are meeting and they're doing this ritual and they're conjuring and then her cell phone goes off because she got to go
0: to work See, okay, that's a
1: juxtaposition that Rucka isn't hasn't driven into the ground yet now
0: here's my problem my problem isn't with the stock character, which she is. Yes, my problem is that this issue is decompressed to the gills.
1: Nothing yeah. happened.
0: I mean, well, the, the, the coven scene that you've mentioned—it's like three, four pages for the sake of a joke. And I'm sorry, this is 2015. The it's supernatural, but there's technology. It was old when Terry Pratchett was doing it in the 80s, mm-hmm. and in this post uh, Dresden Files. Post Mike Carey's uh, whatever his name's uh, mm. Exorcist guy, it's not funny anymore. And you're using three pages for this for for this you know gag, and then the the hostage scene that takes the whole of the issue. It feels like it should have been the opening scene before we jump to the real thing. This whole issue feels like like an issue zero. It's like the free preview that you are supposed to get with with uh, I don't know an an anthology title or something. Like, Dark Horse presents, uh, Black Magic Zero. Right. Where's the
1: goddamn plot? Well, let me ask. Where's the
0: damn story? If, if the coven scene hadn't
1: happened, right, and you had started with the hostage scene, and then he says, I know what
0: you are, would that have not, made Not, more not, not, sense? Ha- not, not happen. One page. You know, cut, cut, cut. This is a comic. You have, I don't know, 30 pages. Mm. Know how to use them. Rocka damn well know how to use them. But sure. for some reason, this issue, Structurally didn't work. Well, it does jump around a lot. That's no, no, true. it's, I just, nothing happens. Nothing happens. The whole scene with the guy, the hostage taker who's like, I know what you are. I guess it's supposed to be scary that he knows what she is, but since I don't know what's, you know, what witches can do in this world up until the final page. Right. When he threatens her, I'm like, I'm supposed to be scared for her? Can she not? burn him right now? Can she turn him into a toad? Right. Well, this is an obstacle that comes up a lot whenever you start using... I mean, uh,
1: Jason Aaron had the same problem with Doctor Strange, which is when you are talking about the use of magic in an everyday
0: setting. Yeah, but in Doctor Strange yeah, it's trip. magic versus magic and here it's magic versus a crazy guy with a gun and a lighter. Unless that's not what he is. Well, there
1: there are hints that there there might be something else going on. Now, and I mean, I get it. I now,
0: d- there's a ton of interesting background material there. And yes. And, you know, this is one of those, uh, issues and series and overall that will be rewarding the people who comes back for issue per issue. And I'm just enough of a Greg Rocca fan that I'll be there for the trade. But as the first issue goes, if, if Greg Rocca's name wasn't on the cover, I would probably say it's, it's just another image number one. It's just, you know, magical stuff, mm. not very interesting. And I'm sorry, destructuring is a problem. It's not a horrible problem, but it is a problem for me. Just nothing happened in this issue. Well, no,
1: there's (laughs) an event that happens that is meant to foreshadow
0: something that we don't know what it's foreshadowing. That's the problem. We've talked about it's how tiring it is when you, when the whole player purse of issue one is bad stuff is coming. We've talked about it before. If the end of F- F- issue one no, is just. When, when that happened with Doctor Strange, we were okay with it. Yeah, for but example. with Doctor Strange, we also had, you know, tons of action scene and mm-hmm. him meeting his friends at the bar and we had the, yeah. and we had the. Not the prologue. The- this could
1: have used another action scene yeah. before the hostage scenario yes. itself. Because what happens show, is show that she Show up here doing her job. Right. Or show something actually happening at the coven. Because yes. they have this whole ritual. But it's not clear what the ritual is for. And then from there she goes directly into the hostage scenario. And the hostage scenario does have like some interesting twists there. Where he's... You know he's clearly playing with her, and then he shows her
0: that symbol, and she recognizes it. But the he reader kno- doesn't know what. Yeah, it means. he knows. He knows what she is, and she's yeah. very concerned about it. But meh.
1: It it's it's interesting to me again. Like here, this is a situation where I can look at it and say, I haven't seen Ruka take the mystical approach very often. And in that sense, I sort of want to see what he'll do because you know you can fail very easily when it comes to witchcraft. Is like so she can just do anything. Can she do only what the plot requires? It's it's very easy to screw up when you have like these undefined abilities that you don't know. She says a rhyme here that ends up saving her life. Is that how? Is this charmed? What
0: like how does that work? After he the guy said, "Well, this will destroy your powers." So apparently he's wrong. I guess not.
1: So it could use a little bit more clarity on that sense. But I am sort of curious to see what he'll do next. I'm not saying that I'm like over the moon about it, but. At the very least, it'll get me to check out the second issue because I want to see how he handles this. And the fact that it's another female stock, you know,
0: strong woman, dark past, whatever. Okay. That's Rock Okay. Our last number one is another uh, Marvel. Back to Marvel. Yep. Yeah. Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, written by Frank Barbieri. Art by Bert Shonover. Mm. Uh, Hidden deep beneath Area 13 lies the clandestine headquarters of (laughs) Stake. Oh, God, Stake! Because, obviously, Stake... What does that stand for? I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) A secret division of S.H.I.E.L.D. housing aliens, mystical beasts, and all manner of extra-dimensional entities. And from Stake headquarters, Dum -dum Dugan, once the great uh, second-in-command of Nick Fury, and now apparently a robot...
1: Well, he's a A life 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 model, a robot. Wasn't he Uh, always, though?
0: No, originally he was just a very long-living soldier, but apparently in... I don't know, maybe it was something to do with the original scene or whatever. Anyway, (laughs) dams Dugan is now a consciousness inhabiting a body, and whenever a body is destroyed, he jumps into a new body until he runs out of them, apparently. Okay. And he leads an army of monster men. So we, we have a war wolf. Yes, was a shield agent who turns into a werewolf, as one does. We have the amphibian, which is a classic Marvel monster, who is sort of a creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. We have Vampire by Night, now which
1: that is boy. interesting.
0: Vampire by Night. So what? What she is by day? Do by you, no. Do, do you know who this is? Uh, I don't recognize the character.
1: Nina Price was introduced. <laughs> In Amazing Fantasy number 10. Jesus. Not the Amazing Fantasy you're thinking of, but you remember there was a, uh, the, the one Ring. that introduced the scorpion?
0: Yes. And Aranya? And uh She was introduced as a backup uh, story there. And she was and, already a vampire or she was turned right I, now? She's a
1: half vampire, half werewolf. Of course she is. So I think it's vampire she, by midnight. day, werewolf by, werewolf by day, vampire by night. But the thing that I find so bizarre here, she was created by Jeff Parker. And then she sounds like a Jeff Parker character for a very long time. I think this is like her third appearance. She turned up in the last Shield Monster book Ugh. with Keith Giffen, and now she's here. And I just find that really
0: bizarre. Uh Hit Monkey from hit Daniel's monkey. Way, Deadpool. Why not a uh, Man Thing? As you do, giant-sized Man Thing. Please. Queen Abomination was a. Uh, Who's this? She, he I know from the Hulk, He uh, was in the Gamma Corpse, I believe. I don't know what that is. And Jasper S- uh, Sitwell from Agents of Jasper S.H.I.E.L.D. Sid- why who's he now not a bald? zombie. Why isn't he bald? I don't know. Ja- S- Jasper Sitwell was bald in the movies. Oh, he died before he got bald in <laughs> the comic universe. I don't know. <sighs>
1: and Orgo. We must and the giant
0: go. monster. And because Orgo is a giant monster, he's their tech guy. Yes, <laughs> you do, he has a computer bigger than the whole of the team. Sure, why not? And their first issue is the team get it together to go on a big boat and fight... Uh, shuffling horde of plan zombies. Okay. Okay. I... That sounds like a typical first mission. To now, take. I'm predisposed to like this sort of stuff. You know, the Marvel Universe super teams composed of, you know, the oddest, the B-est of B-sides. Oh, they're D-listers for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. This is how you do a super team number one. You know, it's first issue 101, introduce the cast, introduce the characters, give us some major conflict, which apparently. S.H.I.E.L.D. is housing these people, but hates them. All the human agents like, ugh, these dirty, mm-hmm. dirty monsters. So they're like the X-Men. The yeah, huh?
1: world is like this race traitor because he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, but he's locking up other Yeah, monsters. he hates
0: himself. Yeah. And give us a big action scene.
1: I liked it, but I yeah. did have a problem.
0: It never rose above the level of, you know, competent draftsmanship. It's like, yeah, yeah this is it, and it's well, fine. Well, specifically, the issue that I'm
1: having here is... In the context of this first issue, right? You had all of these fights running around and everything happening, and all this action. But in terms of characterization, does this issue tell you anything about Vampire by Night? Does it tell you anything about Memphibian Teen Abomination? No, it tells. Half you- of this team can't even talk. Jasper Sitwell can't talk. Hit Monkey doesn't speak English. Yes. Uh, Man Thing doesn't speak. Uh, so it's Well, sort of it like... tells you
0: the main conflict apparently is between Warwolf and Dum Dum Dugan. Dum Dum right. Dugan is adapted as okay, well I'm a freak but I'm still an agent. That and was actually Wa- kinda clever. Yeah, and like War- he
1: sees himself as a monster in the same way that they are.
0: Yeah. But Warwolf doesn't say it but he hates himself because he hates monsters. So these are your major characters. And Orgo gets a few cute lines because he's the team he's smart or. guy. Yeah, he's the team smart guy, even though he's a giant monster.
1: You know what Orgo reminded me of? Mm. There was the Fim Fang 4. four. Wasn't With he there? Four. I don't think that was Orgo. I think that was someone else. Yeah. But it was like it was the same principle. It was a of Gorgo. Like, you take the absurd giant the monster? D-list monster, you shrink them down, and then they're just the, they're leading normal lives. Yeah, and uh, Fim Fang Foom was a, a yeah. chef or yes. something, and it's just like. You know, so Orgo The giant
0: robot had an eight beat brain and was was mocked by calculators. And
1: Orgo's dialogue here, Barbieri nails it, he's like, Oh, I hear explosions. This pleases Orgo. <laughs> you
0: know, that's funny.
1: So I, I in that sense it's good, but I kept feeling like, you know, you get to the end of the issue and I don't know anything about Teen Abomination. I don't know who this is. I don't know I mean Hitmonkey came from Deadpool.
0: He was in Ways Deadpool.
1: And before that? No, that oh, that's where he
0: started. Yes, because I know I've seen him in something else. There wasn't series also, but he was introduced in Ways. Okay,
1: Deadpool. so Nina Price. Who is this person? I know what she was when Jeff Parker wrote her, but that was fifteen years well, ago. Yeah, you, you know? do.
0: Nobody else. I mean, because I was the only one who read that story. Um, I no, never. Mind. So you want a bit more depth? I almost want the opposite. I want a bit more craziness. I don't mind the craziness. The action no, here I, is I, great. Yeah. But if, this is a reason, like for example, when you look at
1: Man Thing, right? Hmm. How would you describe man thing to me in terms of its personality? He doesn't have any doesn't have one right, yeah. but the same is true for zombie Jasper Sitwell, the same is true for hip monkey right well, they, there's they are no they actions. Have, no,
0: they have personalities. Theoretically, it's just not expressed well in this issue. Yeah. Which, to be fair, there's a large cast to introduce, and they're also bringing in Mariah Hill as the human commander. Right, she's okay. the overseer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Jesper Sitwell, for example, would apparently be this comic's comic relief, because yes. he can't be killed because he's already dead. But he's so he, dumb he, as a pose. <laughs> yeah. So, he shoots his own teammates, and Hitmonkey is... You know, despite being the he's small guy, he's a with a gun. Yeah, but despite being the small guy, is superly aggressive and he thinks he can take on the world. Yeah, or so his there... Orgo has like this grandiose. Yeah, so he's Hit Monkey's Wolverine, I assume. Teen mm- Abomination. It even
1: got so absurd because there's a panel there, and this isn't the artist's fault because mm-hmm. the artist's pretty good. But there's a panel there where Manphibian and Teen Abomination are like side by side, and I kept looking back and forth and trying to because they're both green and they both have like gills on their ears. Yeah, so I could not tell. Them Manphibian the is <laughs> Hmm... They both have sharp teeth, and I'm looking at them, and it's like, guys, I can't tell you apart. Who, who are you? And that's sort of where it falls short. You know, give them like at least one quirk where I know. So, Manphibian is like this, and Teen Abomination is like that. But they both just go around beating the crap out of people. So,
0: um, well, amphibian stuck like this, which is very annoying. Oh, with the yeah, yeah. Why? True. Yeah, his previous appearances, he he does. His like previous a- appearances, where was Manphibian? Frank Castle. You're, no, not Castle. Yes. Oh, no. And no. the joke there was that he looked like a monster, but he was an alien scientist. So he was the smart guy. But apparently Orgo is taking this role here. So, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like you, there needed
1: to be a, a little bit more just to differentiate between them. But generally speaking, it's fun. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's an entertaining comic. Yeah. I'll, I will be coming back for the second issue. Not sure how long it'll last. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> eight issues. <laughs> You're being generous, I think. Maybe one arc. No, I, because, I, think, I think Marvel is the And biggest. not because of the quality of the book, but just because, you know, realistically speaking, this is a book comprised of D-listers. The main narrative thrust here is Dum-Dum Dugan's disgust with what he has become because of Nick Fury. Where's Nick Fury in the story? Nobody knows. Well, Nick Fury is dead. There, is he? Well, Original he Sin. Lie? Oh. Do they expect me to know that? I mean, who read Original Sin. Because he's not even mentioned in the recap page.
0: Well, yeah, the comic is is basically lives on energy. It's like, who cares about these characters? You know, who cares about character arc? Hmm. Here's action. Here's crazy stuff. And that's fine Yeah,
1: for an issue or two. You can't turn that into an yeah. ongoing series. No,
0: I think there's enough hints there that Barbieri knows what he's doing and is going to develop at least some of these characters. I hope so.
1: You know, he did a pretty decent job with five, five ghosts, ghosts
0: at first. It didn't go well,
1: but... You know, for a while yeah. there, it was okay. So, I will be coming back. That's actually two out
0: of three that I'll be uh, coming back for. Not bad. Better than our usual average, I'd yeah. say. Okay. Though none of us will be... It's. It won't be the same two that we're coming back to. Probably not. <laughs> but okay, that's okay. fine. Uh, and
1: we will be moving on to our main course review, which is... Nimona. The often mentioned
0: but never yeah, reviewed. Yeah, we've we've said we'll review this. I think like four times by now. <laughs> and uh, now ne- the time has. Nimona come. by Noel Stevenson, writing, art. I think stapling also. Originally published as a web comic, but mm-hmm. recently, well, recently by now, not recently, collected in a print edition by Scholast- Harper Collins. Harper, right? I thought I thought Scholastic for some reason. Sean, okay. tell them about Nimona. Oh, you're, you're the big God. Nimona fan.
1: Do I love Nimona? Do I love this book? Yes, I do. Okay. So, the titular protagonist, Nimona, is a shapeshifter who, at the very beginning of the story, shows up at the castle of Ballister Blackheart. This is the city's designated supervillain. He is sort of an engineer and sort of a wizard. He's a scientist. He's a scientist who messes with all sorts of stuff. And she is a shapeshifter who can take pretty much any form. And she is determined to be his sidekick. needs a henchman, she's there for the job. She just knocks on his door, introduces herself, shows him what to The agency sent me. No, they didn't. Yes, and, they did. And so begins the adventure. As the story progresses, we find out that Blackheart is opposing the Institute, right? which is sort of this superhero-slash-secret-government The Institute
0: are the people who run... The story takes place in a kingdom, which is, uh, like many webcomic, I would say, is a mix between fantasy and modernity so you have witches and wizards and knights but you also have cell phones and the internet and TV you see it
1: from the very first page when she walks in it's like there's this Hmm. one of the most delightful things about this book is that it exists on a crossroads between three different genres and you can tell it from the first two pages Nimona walks in she meets Ballister Blackheart she shakes his hand he has a mechanical arm so, you know that there is sort of a science fiction steampunk thing going on. She asks to be the henchman to his supervillain. And then we see a panel in which there's a giant robot
0: crunching the up the street.
1: Yes. So there are superheroes here too. And then, of course, there's a dragon next to it, so there's a bit of magic, and Nimona can turn herself into any other form. Uh,
0: Anyway, so it's the Institute is the power beyond the crown, they're supposedly the defenders of the realm, but they're actually running the kingdom, and the Institute's champion is Sir Goldenloin. Goldenloin. He thought he was writing Golden Lion, but he mixed up the letters. Yeah, who was the friend of Blackheart when they both were in night school, but there was an incident. Yeah. And now their are opposition. And Blackheart is apparently sort of put there by the Institute as the supervillain. He's there to be the bad guy that is always stopped in the last minute. So the people can believe that goodness triumphs. And the Sir Golden Lion represents all that's good and just. Yes, Only Nimona sort of breaks the their tradition.
1: She, she breaks the status quo, I think, in some very interesting ways. Because of her personality. And, and, and her power. I don't want to spoil too much, but... Let's just say the story ends up going in
0: some very interesting and not predictable. Yeah, directions. it starts as a comedy and goes and pretty quickly becomes something much grimmer. I would say mm. that by the end point, it's a very serious drama. Yeah, we 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 discover Nimona's secret origins, as it were. Maybe or, d- or do we? Well, I'll yeah. get to that. I have something. If to I say have about a past, that. I prefer to have multiple choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. and uh, okay. Here's the thing about this comic: A, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Now, Noel Stevenson apparently started as a great artist, and yeah. God knows how she will develop because she doesn't draw Luminous, right? She only wrote it. I think she, she did drew it first. an issue or two. I think. Yeah, and the art is good. You know, every character is well defined, and it's cartoonishly beautiful—not exaggerated, but just on the right cusp of everybody being a bit comedic. Uh, Goldenland is like this. He has huge gold threads, and he's this perfectly symmetrical face, and Blackheart is this classic villain. Uh, who would play him in a movie? In Profile, you yeah. think Jeremy Irons. No, no, no. Oh, the older... Uh, what's his name? All Jeremy Irons. No, all these Edgar Allan Poe movies. Uh, Johnny Depp? No, no. The old ones. Oh, damn it. I can't remember his who name. Who are we thinking of here? An actor who would play him? Yes, uh, yes. The, yes, ju- the, the old
1: yes yes Vincent Price oh I he, can see that yeah. well maybe a younger Vincent yeah Price. yeah, yeah. No,
0: no, well nowadays Vincent Price is dead so <laughs> yeah. zombie Vincent Price oh well, that would actually work yeah but yeah. You know, and Nimona and he, he herself
1: like, has like this punk aesthetic right like half of her head's been shaved and she has these bangs well, if and... you
0: ever looked images of Noelle Stevenson she is a bit of a
1: Noelle Stevenson okay. self insert I would that's say that's fair I always suspected that Noel Stevenson can turn into a giant dragon, but that's just me. I have to say, like the thing that I love most about this book mm-hmm. is not just the clever connections between all of these generic traditions, but it's, it's a talent that not a lot of writers have, and Stevenson has it in abundance, in that she knows what not to tell you. For example, she never makes it explicit that Golden Loin and Blackheart were lovers,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it's there. Nimona tells three different versions of her origin story, right? You start out with that meeting with... uh, like An evil witch. An evil witch. She helped the witch out of the hole. She turned her into a dragon. Then you have one where she was taken from her home and she was experimented on. And then you have the origin story that she doesn't tell, but rather that, um, what's her name? Uh, Dr. Blitzmeyer mm-hmm. says, you know, there was this story about a shapeshifter who killed, uh, this legendary knight and maybe took her place. Was it Nimona? Was it not? Like, there's all of this mystery here and all of this ambiguity, but it's not directed at the main thrust of the plot. You can still tell what's happening in the story, but there are all of these little unanswered questions. And she knows exactly where to ask those questions so that you're curious and like you want to know more about the world. And it draws you in even further instead of being like, what happened? I don't understand. Like, for example, the chief of the institute, there's a scene where she takes off her hat and she has points. She's ears. a goblin. Is she a goblin? Well, Is that's she what Nimona calls her. That's what Nimona calls her, but Nimona doesn't know her. So there's all of these, you know, and it's like, okay, so what does that mean?
0: No. Uh, the Institute is part of my problem with this book, which I really like on you know even in terms of storytelling and art alone, there are some problems because part of the premise of the book is that you know evil is not automatic. Blackheart is forced to play the bad guy because he has one arm missing and he's called Lord Blackheart. He does well also because specific the institute chose him for the role because he looks the part, no,
1: but more so than that, it's that the chief manipulated a certain situation so that he would choose to become a villain yes. it's not that he was set up and he has no so agency you, so
0: you have a chance to play with the idea that are very common in children's fantasy literature of you know there's one side that's always evil and one side that's always good but very early in the story it becomes obvious that the Institute are the real bad guys and there is no ambiguity there because yeah they're, they're the bad guys and they're evil and they're torturing people and kidnapping people and killing people manipulating mm. people so if the story but presents... But that assumes... Sto-
1: that is only true if Nimona's second origin story is also even
0: true. Not, even if it's not, because we know they're collecting this dangerous material that Blackheart warned. You know, it's, oh, the jade root... Could- He's the one who spreads the story. No, but then he discovers it's true. Yeah. And we know that they're lying to people, and we know that they're manipulating the kingdom, and that the, the real power behind the throne. So, okay. that so this touch of ambiguity itself- doesn't go beyond Nimona and Blackheart. The team, you know, our heroes are our heroes. I think it does.
1: I think it does because what happens is that, you know, this book is focalized through Blackheart and Nimona. Yes. So obviously when we look at the Institute through their eyes, they are nefarious. But for example, you're saying there's an organization that, you know, they're the power behind the throne. They're hoarding this forbidden substance for unknown reasons. But the only abusive actions that they take in context, are towards Blackheart and Nimona.
0: No, they're beating up, you know, whenever there's... When some, there's a riot. Well, they, not you know. even a riot. The, even there's a hint of civilian out. There's this one throwaway scene where they mention, oh, we took care of this newsreader. Mm. So, I, okay. I I don't see this ambiguity, and that's a problem for me if the story is presented with, oh, I'm going to subvert the tropes of fantasy, which is what the story begins as, right? Yeah. But then so, that's what happens. Well, but no, because, uh, you know, the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad, only apparently, you know, it wasn't the regular bad guys. It's a bit like Tom Holt. Have you read this novel about dragons? Yeah,
1: but I don't Which
0: was, oh, what if the dragon was the good guy? Well, apparently the dragon is a good guy, the knight is bad. What a shocker. That subversion in itself, I think,
1: leads to some interesting possibilities because Blackheart is not a good person. Well, he, he is. He's, I mean, in, in comparatively he, speaking, you have Nimona, who is this bloodthirsty, violent. Like she is the villain, right? Yes. Like she is the one she who... wants to be
0: a villain proper. She exactly. wants to kill people. She,
1: she keeps asking him, like, why can't we do? More with all of these tools. And he's like, no, no, no. Because he's bought into the game too, right? He is playing the part of the neutered supervillain who's not really all that bad. It's yeah. just that, you know, he wants to rule the kingdom. He's Dr. Because- claw. Yeah, pretty he's much. He's literally Dr. Claw. He has a claw. He's pretty much Dr. Claw without the the disposable henchmen, right? Well, he had them. They've been disposed of. Well, but then at the same time, like, you feel... Nimona can't be evil because you know it wasn't her fault because she was kidnapped from her well, home we don't and experimented that. on except maybe that yeah. was a lie and in fact when blackheart confronts her towards the end of the story where well, i'm not going to spoil the specifics but she has this monstrous form and she tells him this is me this is all who i was the person you thought i was never existed now that in itself could be a lie when i talk about the ambiguity that is what i'm referring to the fact that Stevenson does not create absolutes here, right? Yeah, Mim- yeah. Nimona would be considered the villain of the story unless her backstory is true. In which case, She's it a wasn't tragic her monster. Fault. She's a tragic monster. Blackheart is not the hero of the story because, after all, he is hanging on to this petty grudge that he has with, with
0: Golden Oh, petty grudge. His arm got Was, blown up. Y-
1: yes, but he... One of the highlights of the book is when they capture Blackheart and he and Goldenloin are sitting across each other. Yeah. And they talk about what happened, exactly. And you find out that, first of all, it was a manipulated event, right? This was something Mm. the Institute caused. But at the same time, Goldenloin knew what was... He didn't know what was happening, but...
0: He he, wasn't against it. He he sort of let it happen.
1: He feels guilty because he accidentally did something that they wanted him to do anyway. So... It's not really his fault either, but then that means, you know, Golden Loin isn't the villain, but he's not really the hero either. No. There's no, like, there's yeah. a lot of... And
0: that's, that's for me why he's the most interesting character because he knows he's being manipulated and he goes with it to a point and it's interesting to see the, the, the moment in the story where he decides, well, enough is enough. Yeah. But even then, he doesn't become a good guy and I like the fact that towards the end when Nimona goes berserk, there's a huge confrontation between him and Blackheart about, well, how should we solve this? And Blackheart is like, I can save her. And Godeloin says, well, she's killing people. Saving yeah. her isn't the issue. The issue is saving everybody else.
1: These are two people who are playing the roles they think they're supposed to be playing, but it's in, in reverse. yeah. So it's a work that is defined by the ways that Stevenson is digging up all of these basic, they're really basic conventions of yes. these three genres simultaneously. And just throwing them into a mixer and hitting puree. Like, she really does manage to create this sympathetic character who... I mean, if Blitzmeyer's version of Nimona's story is true, the Nimona is a real monster. Like, she is a murderer. She is a monster. She's, like, the worst possible creature. Well, even if she's not, you know, she killed
0: she hundreds kills people. of people.
1: She kills people freely. And you don't necessarily think about that because most of the people that she's killing are institute people.
0: But at the Th- same time, that's a bit of a problem because yeah. the, towards the end of the story, it's supposed to be like, well, he forgave her and maybe she's okay. And there's this, maybe it's, maybe she's there, maybe she's not. And if the story forgives her, I'm like... Mm, I don't
1: that. think it does, though. But
0: Because even if, when she was in control of herself, she still killed people when she could have just paralyzed them. We have, you know, like three or four scenes where she's fighting the guards and there is no holding back. She yes. just stabs them in the back. Rips them apart, mm-hmm. and jumps on them, and you know, they're just guards. The only reason she doesn't kill Goldenloin is just because she misses the
1: opportunity. She gives it her yeah, best and, shot,
0: and there was, and she can, and she's so stronger than everybody else within the story that she could have paralyzed them easily. Yeah. So this
1: whole at the same time, she's not a Mary Sue, and that she had there are limitations to her abilities, and Stevenson is very careful to show that. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I'm always a bit of a you know I don't like when the story is. Quick to forgive sins, mm. and it feels like towards the end, Nimona's sins are basically wiped clean off. Well, she—it wasn't her fault. Well, the end wasn't her fault. Everything that happens before that was her fault. She murdered people right, by the truckloads.
1: I don't know if the story ends up taking her side again. I, I, without spoiling what happens at yes. the very end, um, I don't know that the story takes her side. I think that what happens is that the relationship between. Ballister blackheart and nimona has a humanizing effect on her but it doesn't absolve her in the end mm. what happens at the end happens specifically because she is not above judgment right like she has to ultimately pay the price for what she does and that's you know what happens to her in, in the end is a result of that i think it's it's a really, really interesting story. Just an absolute delight. And I yeah. think it, it's funny.
0: Well, when, it is funny. Look, it's
1: funny. Well, no, I mean, it's funny on yes. its own. It has a lot of humor. It has a lot of action. It has a lot of intrigue. Really great stuff across the board. I actually like this more than anything Stevenson has done since. Well,
0: she's only done Lumberjanes and Runaways. Yeah. So you like Stevenson unfiltered because Lumberjanes was... With other creators and the artists. Well, no, hang on. But
1: Lumberjane's, I mean, creatively speaking, in terms of her writing, Boom didn't put any... No, but she wrote it
0: with someone else. Was there another? There was Not another... initially. I, I think th- so. There were two writers, right? Noel Stevenson. There and... are two writers now. Kate oh. Leff and, and somebody else. Shannon Wheeler? I think so. I think she was there from the get-go. Maybe I'm wrong. She might have
1: been. It's just because when I'm reading Lumberjanes, I don't feel that sense of
0: complexity and ambiguity. Yeah, well, Lumberjanes is aimed just at—basically, at it's a kids' book, I guess. And so what I'm really saying is, image. Please call. Well, she's working with Scholastic now. She's doing uh, Tina Harper. Sorry, she, mm. she's doing a series well, of novels.
1: I guess Tina Harper. Would,
0: wait, like novel, novel? I—I'm not sure because they've mentioned an artist. But they haven't said if it's, you know, just an illustrated book or a comic series. So I don't know. Well, she could. Four on. Wizards? We've talked about it in the news. Uh, oh, August right. Ago. Right, right. The Four Wizards thing.
1: Um, it could be interesting. I would really, li- I don't know. There's something about this that I'm not finding in her other work. Well, and I don't know if it's that it's her unfiltered. Like she's just doing whatever she wants. Be- and again, like you can see, as, as is the case with many, many webcomics, you can see, the gradual shift from gag a
0: day jokes, mm-hmm. you know, let me be your sidekick, da 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 Order and of then, the stick. It's Oh, very, my God, It's yes. very much like Order of the stick. And I think part of it is that maybe webcomic artists, even the older ones, you know, the ones that start with a bit of knowledge, are like that saying about uh, the world's greatest swordsman isn't afraid of the world's second greatest swordsman because he knows exactly what he'll do. Mm-hmm. He's afraid of the complete newbie because who knows what the fool will do. Yeah. So, the webcomic creators don't know the rules about how to make proper comic, quote-unquote. So, they end up doing a lot of things that are more experimental and interesting, simply because nobody ever told them, well, you can't do that. You can't start a -a gag-a-day comic and then put in, you know, serious end-of-the-world jokes a gag-a-day... Who's yeah.
1: going to come in and say you can't do that? Well, the newspaper and, guy I mean, in you, the
0: 1930s, whoa, you know. People would kill Charles Schultz if, you know, towards the middle <laughs> run of Peanuts, sure. he would suddenly, oh, uh, apparently... Uh,
1: but, I mean, even, like, when you look at Order of the Stick, when you look at Nimona, when you look at what else, had like, underwent transformations during... It happens all the time. We with shouldn't Black mention
0: Dominic Deegan, should we? <sighs> Not all transformations are good. No. No. Orc Rape. What was he think? I don't even... You know, uh, let's not mind. get
1: into it. Dominic Deegan. Vey. Uh, and he's doing a sequel series. For Our Sins. <laughs> because the Jewish people have not suffered enough. Anyway, I, I think that the medium of the webcomic really does allow a larger measure of flexibility. In the sense that, you know, you're producing this on a regular basis. So you have two pages, three pages, ten pages, whatever. And it's the most basic rule of you know, the craft, which is the more you do it, the better at it you get. Although again, like it's so weird to me that if you go from Nimona to Lumberjanes, it's not the same thing. No. Well, it's not like the same, I say the same thing, like exact, it's, it's not the same style. It doesn't have that. It's
0: aimed at a completely different audience. Lumberjanes is, for kids, it's, directly aimed at 12-year-olds. And Runaways is just
1: like corporately castrated. There's no point in, in looking for creativity there. But I really would like to see her. I don't know if this Four Wizards thing takes off. I hope it does. But I really want to see her. This is why I'm saying, like, you know, Image, give her a call and just be like, here is your blank canvas. Do what you will. Because I feel like Nimona, if Nimona is more indicative of what she can
0: do, I want more of that. Well, if you want more of her in serial you know, webcomic form, maybe she, she should talk to the kit.
1: Mm, that'd be nice actually
0: yeah. so that was Nimona and fantastic this... yeah, comic I have some problems strongly that Sean doesn't have book. but I still strongly recommend it's a very well told story it's a great looking book and give it a shot yes this was the Smorgasbord I'm Tom Shapira and I'm Sean Edry. until next time which will be again November on... 19 Bon Appetit